This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. with the Dale Jr. Download. Back again with Mike Davis, Matthew Dillner, Leah Vaughn, the queen of social, it says. <laughs> is that what it says? We, okay, it says. we laugh, by the way. You never say her last name, so for the past few few weeks, I purposely put her last name okay. in. You're, she's the only one we got an inside all joke right, about. All right, all right, all right. All right. So we laugh like, every time we hear Leah Vaughn I'm like, now. I feel like I'm like Reba. Like Reba doesn't need a yeah. last name, so I'm, I'm Leah. That's yeah. exactly what I'm it junior. is. You're just like I'm, Reba. I'm junior, so I'm good with it. There you go. All right. We got Michael Waltrip on the show. This is an interview that you guys are going to love. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the program. The Dale Jr. Download. Today we are going to talk about a rather serious topic. The Dale Jr. Download. The download starts now. So, yes, I, I was uh, been having these sharp chest pains. I was at my house, and um, my chest was hurting, but it's not in deep in my body. It's like out here on the out out you know near my skin. It's not it's not my heart or an organ. I'm not having pain like a like you might have a you know stomach pains or anything like that deep in there. It was just on the surface, mm-hmm. right, and but I'd had this before for years, and it would come and be there for a day or two, and then go away and never come back. And I didn't know what it was, but it wasn't ever very painful. Just more annoying than anything. But this particular night, it was really painful. And the only thing that would make it stop was to lay down on the floor, flat on my belly. And so Amy is like, "What's wrong with you? What's you know what the heck? You know?" I'm like, "I got these pains, and I don't know why. I mean, I've had them before, but this is real bad. It's really bad." And she's uh, she's she was getting really worried about it being something with my heart and I'm like it doesn't feel like it it feels like it's toward the toward you know out here near my skin um just below the skin and so anyhow I went to see my personal doctor and he I can't even I don't even know how to pronounce the word he said it was this he thought that it would be this um common sort of like an arthritis sort of thing that you would get, and it's in the cartilage between your sternum and your ribs. Mm. Like, it, it, it gets inflamed. Okay. I was like, you know, all right. And he would put, he could push in the area and make it hurt. And he's like, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. I want And I said, look, I, you know, I want to be sure. I want to do everything I can do. So we ran every test we could run, cleared basically anything that it could be with my heart. And he sent me to this guy in Charlotte, and we had a... Um, x-ray and i did a stress test breathing test and all this type of different stuff and we got done he's like man you know it's 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 got i'm pretty sure it's this inflammation of the cartilage in your sternum to the to the ribs and and it's uh, because it's only on one side it's not centered it's kind of off to the side a little bit so it's you know the sternum and then you got the ribs connection so it's off on it's just this one side he's like but when did when did you break your sternum and I said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never broke my sternum. And he goes, it's been broke. And I said, how in the heck do you know it's been broke? And he's like, holds the thing up. He's like, right here, you can see it's been broken in half right there at the, toward the bottom. And um, he said, you even have a rib that was broke mm. um, right here, neck really close to the sternum. And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't, that's crazy. That was that. I mean, I, he's, I had, you know, I've got some treatment sort of have an understanding of what the problem is, which is nothing too serious. It's just annoying and painful. It's there right now. Like, it's constant all day long. I don't know why it's bothering me now. And it just, you know, my, my, you know, my curiosity is to, 
is, you know, why now? Why am I having, why is this, you know, inflammation there today? Um, and why is it not going away? How do, you know, um, it's just annoying. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I didn't know that I had broken my sternum. And then uh, I saw Rodney Childers reply, reply to those tweets and said, you know, I'd, I had broken a ton of ribs in go-karts and didn't know it. He used to go-kart race and wreck a lot, and, you know, well, he was very good, too. He won a lot. He's like, I did an x-ray recently, and the doc said, man, you got a lot of breaks, and he had no clue yeah. huh, that he had all these broken ribs. I, you know, I think that was really profound to find out that you broke your sternum. <laughs> it's not a little thing. No, it ain't. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah now, and there's no way you will ever know where that happened. No. But have, now that you've had a few days to think about it, can you – like had a couple incidences come to mind. I mean, you think about the worst Possibil- ones, the California, right? In '01, I guess, or whenever that was. Uh, that was just looking at, just thinking about the real hard hits. California, the Kansas uh, crash, yeah, uh, where I had the major concussion issues. Um, those two probably would be the only two that stand. I out. I thought about those as well, and the reason I thought about those one was because of the hard hits too, because there was a more significant injury that you incurred from those that would have certainly taken the attention when you're delivering, yeah, your, you know, the news to your doctor. Like, all right, what's wrong? Well, the concussions were prevalent, yeah, to say the least. When I I crashed at Milwaukee and broke my shoulder blade, and I felt like I had been shot with a shotgun oh, like wow. my whole body was on fire and uh it, it I, I burned all over that would have been another one that i think could have potentially been a problem uh where i'd broken my sternum but I, you know i i don't know and maybe it didn't happen in my racing career maybe it, maybe it didn't. didn't happen when i was a child i mean we just got done talking about all the bud days i mean like surely there was a <laughs> <laughs> i mean you know the you know maybe during the phone party who knows <laughs> fear related, fear related i mean injuries. no i mean when i was a kid like 10 no it could have happened then too of course. i fell off of a high dive and uh <laughs> i fell off of a high diving board in daytona when i was 12 and so you're the reason they took out diving boards that that hurt my in, my torso very badly and i did not go get checked out i laid in the bed uh so i fell off this high diving board and i landed basically kind of on my side no wait a second on the edge of the pool what oh yeah you didn't oh. hit water no oh God my crap. like my hips legs <laughs> Jeez. like my hip and my hip my hips and my pelvis and legs were in the water my head was oh. on the sidewalk but my so my torso landed on the on the edge of the pool holy yeah it it was awful and and how old were you probably 12 this was daytona we was down there for the race and i i hurt like i hurt bad and they carried me up to the hotel room and put me in the bed and i laid in the bed all day and uh dad came in there and was like yeah i was like i guess yeah hey i'm glad you're here i fell i'm i'm scared you're fine and, Put some dirt on it. Yeah, never got checked <laughs> out. So, I mean, it could have happened then because it felt. I, in fact, I'm making my bet that's when it happened. Yeah, you think that's when it happened? Yeah, now okay. that we know that he fell off a diving board I mean, that's onto concrete. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to call it a hunch. I bet he broke his sternum then. Maybe. Or so, a rib. Do you remember it being tough to breathe? Because <laughs> that, that, hey, when, uh, I, hey, I know you're I 12, but. Yeah, I don't. Okay. I don't remember much about that. But that was a very scary thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was scared when I broke my ass bone that year. <laughs> That's about twelve when that happened. <laughs> Same thing. Your ass bone. Yeah. 
your coccyx. I had to sit you on a broke cushion. Broke your ass bone. Yeah, sit on a coccyx. Sit on a. Did I remember? Did you break that? I thought we Recently. talked about it on here. We yeah, about we talked about it on here. Yeah. Yeah. The dumb things you I, did as a kid. I, I totally wouldn't have just brought that up if I hadn't thought we've already <laughs> talked about it on here. <laughs> well, I thought, sometimes that's how it happens yeah. on the podcast. Dumb injuries. You know, I had uh, some chest pains this year, too. I wonder if it's the show that's uh, bringing these things out, like flaring them up. Not saying it didn't happen. I mean, these injuries happened in the past, but yeah. all of a sudden, we're all starting to fall apart. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw his tweet, I was wondering about it, too. So Yeah. Getting old, man. Did anybody have any clever responses that uh, uh, to your tweet? You I didn't saw go. Childers. Uh I didn't go reading a lot of Twitter. Good. So <laughs> we were on vacation. And I had lost my, I didn't lose my phone. We were on vacation, but I left my phone in North Carolina. So all I had was my watch, and it's great for okay. texting, yeah. but not for tweeting or anything right. like that. You can't okay. really do anything in depth. I'd get to an iPad probably once every two or three days for about 15 minutes. And so I was sitting there thinking, oh, man, I'm How was that? this did off you, my chest. Did it feel good to get the no uh, pun detox? Intended. No pun intended, yeah. yeah. <laughs> get this off my chest. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> Dale Jr. With That's a, like a dorky joke <laughs> I would usually today's, say. That's a today, dad joke. <laughs> today's dad joke brought to you by Valvoline. Um, did uh, did it feel good, a little cleansing, to not uh, have a phone uh, you know, it did. all week? So the new Apple Watch has service, so you don't need your phone near Whereas mm. the old ones need oh. the phone for its service to be able to get text messages and so forth on your watch. But I, I can basically leave my phone and get all the critical information that I need. Somebody okay. needs me now or needs I can make a call. So it, it does everything I want. So it was great. Good. I was without my phone for several days, and I was engaged in conversation at the I table. Bet. Right. I spent time, you know, more You realized you have time. a daughter and yeah. a wife? I spent more time focusing and playing and doing that's uh, awesome. It was great. Yeah. So then when he was on the phone, he was like James Bond, you know. Oh yeah. Like, when we're at the t- we are, we were in we at restaurants and stuff, and I'd have to reply to a text. And I'm like one or two words text messages, and I'm like I hope people don't think I'm being rude. Not people in the restaurant, but the people receiving the text messages you did that. that were you like know, very short, like thumbs up thumbs emojis. Up. Okay. I was basically turned into Martin Truex Jr. for the week, <laughs> <laughs> where it was either thumbs up, cool, okay. Yeah. I got a, yeah. I would I texted you a couple times about stuff yeah. and it was always it was either emoji or a yep. Yep. <laughs> it was like perfect. That's because I was That's on all my, I needed though. <laughs> on my phone or on my watch. Yeah. Did you have a good week off? I had a, yeah, I had an amazing time. I'm getting um let's see, I'm getting a little bit nervous because we're getting ready we're coming closer and closer to uh broadcasting. Mm. Yeah. Uh that's um at the end of the month. Um I'm gonna go to Sonoma. Yeah. Gonna, yeah, so um that's gonna be fun. And we got a, a practice broadcast this weekend. Oh, oh really? Yeah, we're going to do one of our – we do a little practice broadcast. We're going to do that this weekend. So that'll be cool to get the guys together, get the gang, get the band back together. <laughs> By the way, you have been practicing broadcast with these big live events lately anyway. So, like, you've been getting oh, kind yeah. of informed. Going to all the uh, – Yeah, they, is the way they're 500 sit- and so forth. Yeah. Now, i got to tell you, I'm biased, obviously, but uh, it seems like you – Loved the Indy 500. You and you and Rutt certainly put off this vibe that was uh, pretty cool, and I think that the whole telecast was exceptional. Was right? Yeah, I mean, that the whole group did an exceptional do- job on that. Um, was it as fun as it appeared to be as we were watching? It was. Uh, it was a blast. It was extremely um, nerve wracking because it's such a big event and it's not your normal race. So when I went there. When I walked in there, 
I didn't feel like, oh, I've been here before. This is Indy. I braced here. It didn't feel that way. Wow. It felt like a, a bigger moment, bigger thing. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't up. I wasn't up to speed. I felt like I I needed. I had a lot to learn. Boy, I better get my stuff together. I better mm. study. I better work hard over these next couple of days. Learn everything I can about all these teams and drivers and all this stuff. And I need to know, know, know everything, right? And there's, I don't know how to explain to you that the Indy 500 is like it. It's 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 bigger. Like, I don't know how to say this. So, I've raced in NASCAR forever. The Daytona 500 to me is a special event. Very important. It's our Super Bowl. We say that all the time. The Indy 500, though, is different. You know, it's a bucket list item. It, to me, is like going to the Olympics or going to the Super Bowl or going to the Derby. All those I, all those are like, if you're a sports fan, those are, those are bucket list items. Like, I need to go to an NHL final. I need to go to an NBA final game. Mm-hmm. I want to, you know, I want to, if you want to see all the biggest moments in sports, the Indy 500 is in that list. Now, I think the Daytona 500 is too, but I've lived there. I, I, I go to the Daytona 500 every year. It's not, it, it's, it's, it's different. I don't know how to explain it. So, I get it now. Like, I, I didn't understand when I used to argue, well, Daytona 500 to me is bigger than Indy 500. It's more important. Daytona 500 is more important than Indy 500. It's not more important than Indy 500. It's not even the same thing. Like the oh. Indy 500 is 300,000 people. It's got they got concerts going on every day. The race is a tenth of what's happening there. The race is a I'm, the Indy 500 is not a good name for this weekend. Oh, wow! Because there's more happening wow. than the Most- race. And it's a month long. And it's, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think you're no, no, talking no. about even in that weekend. They need to name it. They need to festival. You know, festival like the race. Like Daytona has speed weeks, right? Yeah. Speed weeks is bigger than the Daytona 500. Right. Yeah. You get there. Yep. You get the Clash Arc race. You're talking about everything. Yeah. Speed weeks is cool. It's an event. Pollution, it's a. Smart. Yeah. You everything. got. Yeah. Damn. You got the. You got racing. Short track yeah. racing in town. All that. <laughs> speed weeks is a happening. That's what this was to me it was a happening the race was just a fraction of the that's cool that's going on they got they had zach brown playing he didn't even play on sunday race day they had uh like in my opinion like he 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 wasn't even the the headliner right 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 you know now he might not feel that way but um they had great concerts leading every day leading up to the the race itself they had the snake pit and their the snake pit is full of college age kids that are there to enjoy a, a concert and a DJ and whatever else is going on there. They had they had DJs and, and all kinds of stuff happening in the snake pit starting at seven o'clock in the morning. They're they're there raising hell. I mean nine o'clock, they're partying hard. They're partying hard like I would at four in the afternoon. You know, and then we so we had two hits there, nine o'clock and eleven o'clock and it was madness. What was the difference between them? Just about ten thousand more people. Um, they get thirty thousand people in this small little area down in Turn Three for the Snake Pit, and no, this is not meant as a slam. A lot of them don't even really care to be in, involved in the race experience. They're there for that concert experience. That's what they want to enjoy. Um, the hope is that it's the best marketing tool the racetrack has for the twenty-something crowd because they their hope is that some of those kids do get turned on to the race while it's happening. 
and they do come back later as they turn 30, 35, 40, 45 years old. They continue to come to the track for the race itself. And those IndyCar guys, they go to the snake pit and will hang out for a little bit yeah. and, and kind of interact with those guys. So, right. like, you get the drivers down in there, and I think that probably helps turn it around, too. I was really nervous about going in there, man, but the vibe in there is ha- positive, it's happy, it's good. And uh, they're raising hell. Compared- know that. Because I was with you, I can use but this it's as, a good vibe. A, as a barometer. Compare it to that time we went into the Kentucky Derby infield. Was it similar, similar. to that? Yeah, okay. it is a little bit similar to the Kentucky Derby infield, but it, but it's it's a if you took the snake pit out of the race and just had it by itself anywhere in the country, it's still a freaking very attractive, popular, fun experience, music festivals type of thing going on. I mean, yeah. it, in itself... It's 30,000 people in itself doing just that. They're there to come to that part of the racetrack and stay there all day and do what's happening in that place. Everything else happening around the track. They got, the, they got another concert over in turn four, another stage, another 20,000, 30,000 people watching that's, something totally different. That's awesome. Throughout the weekend. Um, they, have the, you know, they got the museum and, and all kinds of attractions. They have the parade downtown, and Marcos oh, and Dreddy says it's the second biggest parade in the country in the year. Yeah, he's, he ranked it right up there as something. You know, this year it looked less because of the balloons. Something you had so, to yeah. see. Yeah. So the parade is in town. They have a driver's autograph session. That's you know, Every driver's there. They're all going to be available. That was another thing. I mean, you're standing on, standing on the front straightaway. At driver's intro is hot as hell, boy. It sun was beating down, but there's it's it's people. You can't fit any more people in that front straightaway. Mm. Right before they shuffle everybody off, when the cars are, guys are getting in their cars and going to fire them up. Right before that moment, you can't fit another person on the front straightaway. It's you, you've been you've been to Memorial Day the 600 and how dramatic that pre race is. Yeah. My I've only been to one 500 Indy 500 and I couldn't believe the feel on that grid because it was unlike anything I've ever seen. Yeah. What was so your take on it? So you've been to the Indy 500. Once when Montoya right. won his first. So talk. So try cool. try in your best words to compare the Indy 500 to any of NASCAR's biggest races, whatever you think it's the 600, whether you think it's a Daytona 500. It, you can't. You can't no. compare them because they're not the same. No. The Indy 500 is its own thing over here by itself. Yep. And it's been that way for a hundred years. Um. It's just incredible. I, that, too, is another thing that I love. That's probably my favorite part about Indy is the history. And I talked about it a ton during the opportunities that I had some live TV. Um, the track was built in 2009, or 1909. It survived the Great Depression. Now, imagine that. I know you, don't, you hear those words, but imagine going through the Great Depression. Yeah. All the thing. I mean, the things that didn't make it out of the Great Depression, the things that Which didn't survive. Which was most of things. Yeah. yeah. And that track was able to get through that. It survived two world wars. I don't know about being shut down. Yeah. yeah. I don't know about World War One, but in yeah, in World War Two they banned auto racing in the country. That meant for whatever reason, the during the second world war, the idea of racing coming back to Indy was losing more and more momentum. And mm. by the end of the war, the track had weeds and trees and shit growing up through the surface. I mean, it was in terrible, terrible shape. Almost like an abandoned racetrack. It was. It had been, no one had used it. In World War One. they used it as an airfield. Right. Right, so that kind of kept it up to speed and at least kept the grounds taken care of. So when the war was over, they could just plop back down and start racing, right? Bring cars back in and here we go. Well, by the end of World War Two, the track hadn't been fooled with. Nobody was there. Nobody was taking care of it. 
and the guy that owned it was going to sell it, and and they were going to develop it into housing. Mm. Oh my God! It say, they they say that it almost happened. Mm. So I you know when I think about like wow you know you're standing there on the grid for that race and all that almost didn't happen all that almost wouldn't be there it makes you really thankful for that racetrack and you know we dug up a brick out of the creek that was fun we had a little fun with that so we me and um me and rut are great great pals i love hanging out with him i love preparing and and talking for we'll get together a day or two ahead of our our hits on live tv and we got to prepare our what we're going to say what are you going to say well i'll say this well i'll say that you should say this and we just keep on tuning and tweaking right and we were he's like man i got a brick out of that creek i said i heard a lot of guys got bricks out of that creek and i've heard they're there and you'd I, never done it? I'd never done it. Oh. And I said, how long do you think it takes us to get one? He goes, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. I can, we can find one. You just got to go out there and just got to jump right in. Got to be willing to get down in there and get your hands dirty. Mm. You're not going to find one just laying on the ground. Mm. And so we got down in there, and boy, it was an hour, and we ain't found nothing. We're found, oh, really? I mean, we found like half of a brick, yeah. broken stuff. I didn't want a half. I want the whole thing, right? We're looking and looking, and I gave up like three times. I got out, and I'm, I'm, if, if I was just on the verge of saying, man, let's go, let's get out of here, this ain't gonna happen. And finally, we, I say we, but Rut found this pocket of where somebody had dumped a pile, like come back, came back in there in two, in 1920 or whatever, and wheelbarrowed a whole load right in this spot in the creek. And we found a bunch of halves and broken ones, and I started digging further down, and you could feel them down in there. Like 12 inches down into the mud, you could feel the corners of all these bricks. And so it was a pile of them there. And I just had to keep pulling out bricks till I found that full brick. And it, the one I pulled out, that it, it's, still, it's got some nicks and, and a chip here and there, corner missing off, but... It was way down there. It took a lot to get it out because we didn't have any t- tools. We were using our hands. Yeah. Was it a culver? Who? Was yes. it a culver? Okay. Yeah. Because there's like uh, three or four different type bricks. There's a yeah. Terre Haute, there's culver. Gotcha. There's, yeah. And um, we found some that looked relatively newer, uh, but we, you know, I wanted the one with all the writing on it and looked look the most legit. Absolutely. And so we found, we ended up finding about six full bricks. Oh, wow. Yeah, and we lined them up and took a picture like a bunch of fish, like we'd been fishing on. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Deep sea fishing. But um, we didn't even, we didn't, uh, like that was on, me and Rut pl- were just going to do that. We weren't even going to film it. And there was a person, there was a girl that's working with NBC that does their me- uh, their social media, and she says, I'll go film it. And we told the producer, uh, Barnes, we're like, man, we're going to take the camera out there, we're going to mic up, we're going to, Shoot, we're going to shoot this, and whatever happens, happens. If we find a brick, we find a brick. Right. And you'll have it. And you can right. use it and not use it. And they ended up using it on the on the pre-race, which I thought was cool. We kind of made it, created our own piece. Yeah, own right? yeah, when did you go out there? Was it Saturday? Night before. So y'all put together that piece, uh, pre-race. In 12 hours. Indie, you know, they, they planned for months. These, guys, these uh, yahoos go out to the that right? creek and put, put together, together a pre-race feature. We did. <laughs> I was so proud of ourselves that we, like – to to be able to create a produced piece for the Indy 500 or any kind of big sporting event like that, like you say, I mean, a lot goes into that. And they spend days and days and days tuning those things oh, and yeah. voicing them over with this, you know, doing the color and the sound. And we we had that those guys threw that together real quick, and I was proud of it. We added something. We brought something to the table. That's right. right. Where's right. the brick? The brick is in the motorhome, and the motor coach is here. 
Oh, we're going to oh, bring so it in the studio. We need the to bring brick. it in the studio. Yeah, so the brick cool. can come here and stay. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. And There's we're probably gonna... a lot of amoebas and all kinds of other stuff <laughs> on it. Yeah. There's probably some things on there that we don't want on there, but <laughs> they're going to start crawling all over this room. Because we're, we're it's have... been in that hole. It's been in there for 20. No, it's been in Not there for 20, 100 more, years. More than 20. Yeah. I was thinking 1920. So I'm just going to assume it's been in there for almost 100 years. Yeah. Dang, that's so cool. So cool. That I got one and I, I cherish that thing. I think mm. it's so cool. Did you yeah. dig yours out? Yes, sir. Yep. Mm. I've dug a bunch of them out and I'm still looking for a Terre Haute. That's the yeah. one Did I want. You have that's the rarest. I got a culvert. Did you have the forethought to tape it and put a mic on? No, because. Plus, nobody wants to see me digging. I, with my toes. I would totally Can watch I a small, trimmed down, produced piece of you finding your brick. I mean, you just want me to I fall wanted, in the water. Well, I know a lot of people are going to want to know exactly where you dug. Like, you can go anywhere, even outside the facility. Yeah, that's where we this went was out. The outside, the you, okay. Facility. You were outside of the we golf outside course. The golf course. Yep. Okay. Yeah. We're yeah. going to have the Indy 500 winner in here. Heck yeah! Y'all excited about that? Oh, Big that's time, awesome. man. Simon. So Simon, I got to meet Simon in the garage. I'm. I know. Like I'm. I'm I got there and I'm thinking, man, I want to go into the garage. Of course. And I'm just going to walk in there. And I walked right in and I stood over by the inspection station and all those guys started talking to me. And I'm sort of getting more and more comfortable with being there because I felt like, you know, yeah. I didn't want to get in trouble. I didn't want to be in the wrong spot, get in the way, get anybody hollering at me. Hey, move! <laughs> what are you doing down there? <laughs> and so I talked to these uh, inspection guys. They told me how they did the whole process, and I watched several cars go through and met some of the crew guys that worked on each of the cars. And Steve was over at Penske's garage, and he texted me, and he said, come over here. So I walked over there, and Simon was there. Okay. And he's getting ready to walk off uh, to do whatever, go get something to eat. And he, uh, so I talked to him for a second, and, he got, and he's like, I'll show you some of the cars. Here, come over. He's showing me, showing me uh, they had Will Powers' car sitting there, his backup car. He's like, you want to sit in it? And I'm like, hell yeah, I want to sit in it. Oh, so those are the pictures. Yeah. yeah. And so they caught, they text Will as I was climbing in and like, got to get over here. Got to show you something. Somebody's over here. And so he come walking <laughs> up and didn't know I was sitting in the car. <laughs> and it was funny. He almost seemed a little like... A little perturbed a that little, somebody was sitting in his car. Of course. Yeah. I don't think you drivers let people just sit in yeah. the car during race weekend. Yeah. Of course he was perturbed. But that's kind of my thing. Like when I went to the 24 Hours of Daytona, I was climbing in everybody's cars. Because I want to sit in them and see how the cockpit feels. Yeah. I want to know what all the buttons do. I want to know what switches on. Every, you know, everybody has something different going on. And you know, everybody does it differently. And if I'm going to be talking about that race, I want to have some sort of unique knowledge to. Yeah. How you know what's happening inside the car? But he he was cool. Will Power's cool. We had you know obviously had him on the show, so he knew. Didn't he just win? Didn't he win this weekend? If not, if we only had somebody who was who was who was great at googling or wait, hold on, handy, we got Mister Handy Google right here, Handy with a desktop. I don't know. <laughs> so Scott Dixon won on yeah. Sunday. Scott Dixon won. Dixon won. Oh, okay. New Garden won the other yeah, couple hundred. So that's that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great conversation. Indy was a lot of fun. Now we're all still curious as to how the stern got busted. Um, we'll never know. Before we get to our guest, Michael Waltrip, I want to talk about my relationship with Valvoline. That was as special to me as that relationship with Michael, Michael Waltrip. <laughs> Poor Michael. Everything they've done with me has been on a custom and personal level. Being the only Motorola brand with a dedicated engine lab makes them a great partner outside and under the hood. In 2014, they let me build a one-of-a-kind, all-time favorite, a 1974 Chevy Cheyenne short bed pickup truck 
We took that baby out and raised hell. Thanks to Valvoline, it was orange. Mm. Like I said, they let me do it my way. We had a good time working together. Not short on some funny moments. In 2016, they made me into a bobblehead for their Pit Pals promotion. You only uh, your best friends will do that for you, Michael. That's right. That was actually really funny. They had these. They had these voices. Remember that? I do remember it. Yeah. I remember shooting that stuff. Yeah. We shot it right here in Mooresville, mm-hmm. I mean, Junior Motorsports. But no, no other motor oil brand goes the extra mile to build a relationship like Valvoline does, and that's why I trust them in my engines, and you should too. From high mileage rides that need that thick anti wear film to new engines that have carbon buildup, check out Valvoline.com/dale to find the product for your engine. That's Valvoline.com slash Dale. Now let's bring in our guests. Michael Waltrip in the car owned by his brother, the Super Bowl Chevrolet. Here he is coming off of car number four. The checkered flag is waiting and Michael Waltrip wins. The grand- oh, Man, I think I'm all right. Uh, got some contusions and a little bit of confusion, but uh, that's probably not too unusual. If he wants to continue to be an idiot, then we can play that game. I don't mind. I just prefer to be nice to people. Michael Waltrip in second, but it's going to be Dale Earnhardt Jr. Using lessons learned from his father to go from sixth to first and score the victory in a Pepsi Ford. You never got to celebrate your win in February. You celebrate now. All right. That's it, man. Michael Waltrip, he's here in the chair. Um, any of that stuff sparking good memories? Yeah, the contusions and confusion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who were you calling an idiot? Uh, I don't remember. Yeah. Clint Boyer. Could have been any Clint Boyer. Yeah. Clint Boyer. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't say he's an idiot, but Not in now. that moment you felt like he was. Felt, I felt like that. Yeah. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I just didn't sound quite as sophisticated back then as I do now. I don't know. <laughs> I kind of miss I kind of miss Michael Watchup, the driver. So um, Bristol, I want to start off with talking about that Bristol crash. Uh, we're talking about the uh, the Bush race uh, in the 30 um, Kool-Aid car, Country Time Kool-Aid. So the one thing I kind of always wanted to know, I mean, there's a million questions about that. I'm sure you get you talk about it all the time. But when that, do you remember, so sometimes when you crash, things slow down. Do you remember when you hit the wall and came to a stop in between that, the steering wheel being in the wrong place or not being there at all? It was like, well, obviously, you know, you were – do you remember the car coming apart? Well, there's so many great stories about that day. And the the, the quick answer is I, mem- I remember more about that crash than I do most others because generally when you have a bad crash, for example, the one I had in Talladega in 89 or whatever where I walked across the track – there's an in-car video of me just flopping around. Mm-hmm. I, I hit the wall and hit my head and knocked me out. And I had a concussion. And on, on that day in Talladega, I walked across the track. Luckily, no cars were coming. And I lived in North Carolina. And I, I woke up Monday morning. I'm like, I'll be damned. I'm in Kentucky. wonder how I got here. And when the race was over, they check you out and are you fine? Yeah, I'm fine. What's your name? Uh, Mike. Good. You're you're check. You're gone. <laughs> you passed. And my buddies were there, and I said, I want to go back home. I want to go to Owensboro. <laughs> and I'm not. I got in the car and I drove six hours back to Kentucky. Went to my mom and dad's house. Woke up the next day and and had no recollection of how I got there. Wow. So that's bad. Yeah. This this is pretty cool. Bristol. I hit and I and I remember as soon as I hit. I, I, 
I couldn't breathe. The concussion of the, you know, the, the, the violence of the impact, it knocked the breath out of me, just like you get hit by a football player or something. It, it, I couldn't breathe. And I remember thinking, oh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choke to death or I'm going to suffocate. <laughs> really? Yeah. And, I, and when I thought that, I, I couldn't breathe and I blacked out. But I didn't get knocked out. Ah. So a few minutes later, I, I come to and everybody's. So you really come to like you there for a minute. You weren't you weren't knocked out, but you weren't aware. Yeah, I, I think I would do what you call blacked out because I thought I was going to die from not being able to breathe. Shock. Yeah, and and when it stopped, I'm sitting there and and there's so many wrecks where you don't remember or I don't. I've had a lot of concussions that I don't remember anything about it. But I, I remember this is this is funny because I'm sitting there and people are staring at me and they're 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 like, Are you okay? And I say, Yeah, I'm fine. And obviously I wasn't fine because the fact that the steering wheel was in the passenger side yeah. and my feet were on the road what didn't really register to me that I'd had a real big problem, you know? And I get up out of the out of the car and walk to the infield care center. Yeah, but you you had to look at the car and go, how? I, I, you didn't do that? I didn't at the time. And, and and I'll tell you, even... I was standing at the fence when they t- when you walked to the uh, helicopter, and you looked like a guy that had realized that you just survived a miracle by that <laughs> point. Now, it's been about 20 minutes after the crash, but did it so did it sink in at any point where you're like, oh, my God. Yeah, I... I had, I don't think it really sunk in until I got, they put me on that helicopter and took me to the hospital. And when I got there, I was able to see it on TV. Oh. That's the first time I really, the magnitude of it really registered. But I I was on the way on the, I could have been the coolest guy ever because I was on the way to the helicopter and Robert Presley wrecked me that day. He was the reason why I hit the wall. Did he do that on purpose? Yes. What happened? He did? How did that? Huh. I don't know. Had y'all been beating on each other a little bit? A little bit. Yeah. And I was so fast in that, you know, and I was this sissy from Kentucky, you know, and he's a big Asheville guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they beat people up up there. <laughs> we run from them in Kentucky. <laughs> we, run, we run from people like him, but um, I'm convinced he did it on purpose. He'll probably deny that. But um, when, I, when I went by his car, I had this chance because he was still buckled in. And I remember he sitting over there in that number 59 trucking car fitting sponsor yeah and i wanted i I thought about for a split second while he was in his car run over there and beat him up you know punch him. when is this on the way on the on the on the way to the hospital no on the 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 way the helicopter yeah oh and i i thought about it and then i thought well he might get out and that'd be then i'd then maybe i would really die today (laughs) (laughs) wouldn't that be something you survive the crash die in the fight yeah get killed by robert presley Wow. Oh, my God. So we get to the hospital, and I saw it on TV, and I thought, wow, that's crazy. And, yeah, I, I have a, a funny story about that week. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. We want to hear all the funny stories. <laughs> I think we do. So we go, to, we go to Bristol on Wednesday, me and a couple of my buddies. This is 1990, remember, and I'm staying at the Days Inn. And we go to Bristol on Wednesday because we wanted to – have some fun, go out and have some beers. So there's a Ramadi or something there and they have a bar. We go there and I meet this girl and I say, you want to go to the race on Saturday? And she said, sure, I'd love to. And I said, okay, I'll come get you. So Saturday morning comes around. I get up from the day's end. I drive to her house, pick her up, take her to the racetrack, put her on top of a truck with Rick Wilson. 
I said, I gotta, I'm gonna race, Rick's not racing, uh, you, you stand up there with him. So the race starts, you know, and I'm, I started in the back because qualifying got rained out and I was, I think I spun out once even, and I was the fastest car for sure. And I was going back to the front and this crash happens. And the whole track, as you know, went silent and people think they just saw this guy get killed. And Rick's my buddy and he's, he's distraught and he doesn't know what to think. And I get out of the car and people cheer and she's still just trying to figure this all out. And, and they take me to the helicopter and, and she really hasn't said anything. She's just kind of looking around and trying to understand. And I fly off and first thing she said to Rick, she said, well, how am I supposed to get home? <laughs> <laughs> so, like one of the first people to the hospital was Rick because he couldn't wait to tell me how concerned my girl was. About. <laughs> That's funny. That's hysterical. Yeah. How did she get home? Anybody know? Yeah, or is she still there? Yeah, so, <laughs> I don't know what happened to her. We, <laughs> it didn't really work out after that, did it? That wasn't the one for me. Yeah. That <laughs> wasn't the one. As it turns out. <laughs> And then another cool thing that happened when it, when I was in the hospital, your your dad came by. You know, my brother came. Your dad came by, and he's like, shook his head. He said, "You're one tough son of a bitch." You know that? And he laughed, and I said, "Y'all hear that?" Yeah. They all think I'm tough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you talked about walking up, wanting to walk over and punch um, Robert Presley in that moment. You did walk over and punch Lake Speed on pit road. Yeah. And we see. Well, he ain't from Asheville, is he? No. <laughs> he's a little smaller. But <laughs> yeah, that, there was no. Really concerned there. <laughs> we always see, we always see just a clip of that. You know, the, the, even today we see it often. What happened on the track? Well, it was it was ninety five, and I think it's the day the track tore up. The yeah. track started coming up, and it was one groove, and and it was really tough racing. And I, I was, I think you know we were running probably twelfth or whatever with with Lake, and he went into the turn, and he was in the spam car, I think. <laughs> He yep. was. Yep. I think he was. Yeah. That made it even worse. Yeah, that's just fun to say, though. <laughs> that guy in that spam car. So he, he got in those gravels and, and ran, ran me up the wall. He didn't even wreck me, but he, he just – it was just – it just was uncalled for. Yeah. And so I honestly – first of all, Lake and I are buddies, and we've always been buddies, and we were buddies after that. But I honestly just wanted to go back there and explain to him how stupid I thought what he did did was and when I got back there this is this was right on the the beginning of full face helmets mm -hmm. um it'd been going on for a couple years but not everybody was wearing them and he I get back there and he's got on a a white full face helmet no paint just a white helmet like he'd he'd just bought it trying it out clear shield and a pair of gargoyles and those gargoyles just sent me right over the edge. I'm like, not only was that <laughs> a, a stupid move, you you look stupid, in, in, in my opinion. You, you got one coming just on the way well, you look. As it turns out, he had two coming uh, yeah. because I, I punched him twice. And But in, <laughs> I, in my defense, I, I hit his helmet. I, yeah. I didn't try to hurt Lake. Yeah. Like, I wasn't I – wouldn't, if he had been sitting there without a helmet, there's no way – Sissy Mike from Kentucky would have punched him in the nose. Like I just, I don't have that in me. Yeah. But I just wanted to say uh, how how mad I was, and that's what I did. And wait, wait, you punched the helmet, but then twice. you, but you just you hit the helmet twice. Mm -hmm. And then I walked off, and I thought, oh, dang it, that was that's dumb what he did. And then Buster grabs me and said, "Let's go to the trailer." I'm like, I, I want to go to the trailer, Buster. I want to tell somebody what he did was so dumb. <laughs> and then we walked a few more steps, and I said, 
Why are we going to the trailer? <laughs> <laughs> he said, Mr. France wants to see Uh-oh. you. Yeah. And and this is the best thing about the whole story because I walk in there and I think it's Beatty and I don't know, three or four officials, and sitting on the end of the bench in the NASCAR hauler was Mr. France. He was sitting there smoking a cigarette. And I walk in and he looks like he's 12 years old. And, you know, he's just, he's the happiest. It's the coolest thing he's ever seen. It's like, why'd you punch Lake Speed? I did not punch Lake Speed. He went, <laughs> watch this. And they had it recorded, yeah. you know, from, and he said, watch this, watch this. And I said, I hit his helmet. That's all. I didn't hit him. I hit his helmet. So, all right. Nice try. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Did you explain to him the gargoyles, though? Because maybe Mr. France would have understood a little <laughs> bit better. Yeah, he per- probably could have got down with that. No, I didn't. <laughs> so, I, so Monday, it was – it was. I lived in Cheryl's Ford, and Buffy and I were hanging out on Monday morning, and it was a rainy, dreary day, and I get a call, and it's NASCAR, and they're like, uh, we want, we're going to find you ten grand for that incident yesterday. And I said, what's well, – it's a lot. 1995, that was a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And the, the, it just seemed fitting. You know, it was raining, it's dreary, and I got fined 10, 10 grand. grand for yeah. a bunch of, but I texted Clint the other day. I said, you made me look like a sissy the way you went off on Newman. I know, right? He, he, he got more than two in. He got uh, 11. <laughs> you <laughs> counted them. <laughs> I paused it. Oh, man. <laughs> But does that does that bring back memories of that? I mean, because like that, I don't know. I don't know that you could even compare the two, right? I mean, that. that or have you been in a fight like that? No, I've no. I'm 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 not much of a fighter. In Has all... anybody come try to fight you like that? Yeah, yeah, Mike Dillon. What and, was? Oh, I think I've heard some of this. When was? Yeah. It, where was that at? That was at Bristol. Um, he, I don't remember what happened, but he might have either. I don't. <clears throat> I don't remember what happened on the track. Right. But then after the track, after the wreck, I. I'm mad again, and I go to him and confront him about the incident, accident, whatever you call it, and we start getting aggressive. And you know, Mike Dillon is country strong. Yeah, he's he <laughs> he could probably beat up Robert Presley if you put him. In. <laughs> That'd be a good Robert. I love how Ro- fight. Robert Presley is his measuring stick yeah, on benchmark. anything tough, right? <laughs> I'd like to see some of that. Actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> anyway, Robert Presley versus Mike Dillon. Dillon pulls back and punches at me right at right at my face, and I I guess that. When he ran out of throw, when he ran out of reach, <laughs> ran out of throw. <laughs> I had pulled back just enough to where it it stopped about even with my face. And when I saw it coming, I'm like, oh, no, nah, I'm going to get knocked out. <laughs> 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 and it got there. And, and then I thought, well, actually, I'm not even hurt. And <laughs> by that time, all the crew guys. <laughs> uh, so Dylan's got T-Rex arms. He's got little <laughs> arms. Yeah. Big, tough guy. Doesn't have much of a reach. <laughs> no throw on that arm. <laughs> Holy crap. But he uh, don't go to dinner with him. <laughs> he would never get down in his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh man so when that happened all the crew guys uh jump in and we get in a wrestling match and they get it pulled apart <laughs> they call us to the trailer and we're outside the trailer and i said dylan none of that happened if they asked we didn't have any problem just crew guys pushing and he said no i'm gonna tell them what you did I said, you did it too i'm and he yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> he figured it out. <laughs> he finally figured it out. It was a little slow, too, but he got there. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
Man, can, can we just talk fighting with Michael? I mean, like, uh, you know, maybe you haven't been in enough fights, but maybe you know people that have, and uh, you just watched, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you just could commentate fights. You have fight you, commentator. Had you ever made Dad mad on the racetrack? No. Oh. I, I tell a story in, in our doc about Dale and I's, uh, your dad. And I'm I sure was, he'd made you mad a few times, but. Yeah, he made me mad at Darlington. I was running like top five, and he went down into what is now turn one, which was turn three, and just hit me. And I didn't ever – I wasn't much of a top five guy back in the early 90s. I got him in there every now and then, but he just – you know, he just – guess he either wanted to hit me or he just misjudged it a bit and, and into the outside wall I went wow, just really? right into – you know how you yeah. crashed. So, but Darlington, when I was a, a rookie, 80 – not even a rookie, at 85, one of my five races I ran as, a, as the year before my rookie was the Southern 500, and – I was running pretty darn good for a kid that just been been racing baby grand cars, and I it was it was probably midway through the race, and he was leading, and I came off turn two, and and I just I didn't see him, I didn't know what was going on, and I, I was up on the straightaway off turn two, then, and by the time I la thought I landed, he was already down inside of me in that Wrangler car that you could see him, you could see his feet almost in those cars back in the day. Yeah. You know, you could almost see the whole guy. And his, he had that finger pointing mm. at me, and I'm like, oh, no, that, that's bad. Mm. That's Dale Earnhardt, and I'm Daryl's little brother, and he is, he is mad at me. Yeah. And, and I bet he's got some throw in those arms. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't. I would have left Darlington in my car before I confronted him. Yeah. But it was it was one of those moments though that I, as I thought about it, you know, I, I almost I took it as 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 a lesson, not yeah. not him being pissed. Just you know, get your get it together, buddy. Yeah. If I got that a, same thing at Darlington. I think it was my rookie year, and I didn't know any better, so I was racing the shit out of the leaders. And you weren't supposed to. And I think I got loose in front of Jeff. And Dad and Jeff were having a little battle. And I got loose and almost uh, Jeff almost wrecked trying to check up and miss me. And then they went by and Dad's pointing at me. Like, get the hell out of the way, you know. <laughs> but uh, Tell him, tell him, you have to tell one's Dad's story. Tell him the one about Martinsville. That's my favorite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my, so, yeah, Michael was there. Um, we were... Running my first Martinsville race, there's a lot of tracks like Martinsville that you go to where you just have to destroy the car the first few times. It, all the if you go look at we would become great, great. I became a great plate racer. He already was, but I wrecked in my first three or four plate races because I just didn't know how to, how to how to do it, and I didn't know how to finish races. And I don't know how we won championships in Xfinity Series because I still when I got to Cup <laughs> Series didn't know how to finish races, especially 500 miles or 500 laps. Martinsville. We got a flat tire or something. I cut my tire down, drug the sway bar off, had to come in the garage and get it fixed. And I hit uh, the pace truck. There was a truck like a, yeah, behind the garage. This I was so mad. And this truck was trying to move, and, and they were, they'd been out on the track throwing some speedy dry down. And I'm trying to get to the garage, and they won't move. And they're, like, telling me to move. And I'm in the car, and I'm like, race car has the right of way in the, <laughs> clearly in, yeah in the garage and plus i got one tire flat i can't really control this thing and um uh, we got that fixed and we got back out there and we restarted on the inside uh this was real early in the race and i had new tires and the other guys i don't think pitted 
all the leaders hadn't pitted, so they had a little less tire. Take off, man. I put a straightaway on the leaders. I was proud. <laughs> and Dad could see it. He was running in top ten. I knew he could see it. Then we wrecked about three or four more times. Finally, the last wreck, <laughs> I had no fenders left on my car. Hood's gone. We had a restart. And, I mean, it's just start. We just had a restart, and I'm back there. I'm going, I'm going to ride this out. I'm okay. And uh, I come down in the corner, and I was underneath, I, th- I think it was Blaney's dad, uh, and he came down, and, and, and I hopped his tire with my, my car because I didn't have any fenders. <laughs> and I jumped him, and when it landed, I was at the fence. And it bent the steering wheel. I still have that steering wheel, but it bent the steering wheel into the dash and just killed this car. <laughs> and so Richard, uh, Dad comes over the radio to Richard Childress and says, tell him to park it. <laughs> and Richard's like, I think it's done. <laughs> and so we get in the helicopter, and Dad goes to chewing my butt over just how much shit I tore up and wrecking. And I mean, as I imagine, he was pretty embarrassed because I caused about four yellows. <laughs> and he got done chewing my ass. And I said, Yeah, man, but did you see me? Yard the leaders <laughs> had to put a straightaway on them that one time. You ain't even gonna talk about that. So the the, the more to that story is that morning, I had gotten. Dale said you want to ride up on the helicopter. I said sure. So they picked me up at at Charles Ford, and I'm sitting at Dale's place in the helicopter, and and Dale and I are sitting there, and Dale Junior. He's not late. He's right on time. But he he comes into the helicopter, sits down. He's got on a like one of those big coats, like a hunting coat almost in his hat. <laughs> and he's, he sits down in that helicopter and he looks over me and goes, and I <laughs> never said a word. The whole hour ride up to Martinsville, yeah. never said a word. Just sat over there like he was still asleep. Got out of the helicopter and left. And that was kind of our relationship. There, there really wasn't one. Uh, at that time, we, we were just, I was Dale's friend and he was, he was Dale Jr. And we, we knew each other, but that's about it. Y'all nodded each other. Yeah, well, yeah, we, he, well he nodded at me. <laughs> yeah, he nodded I, back. I nodded back. So the race is over, and I think Dale Jr. Had, so Dale ran top top five. I think he was second or third. And I think you had to go uh, talk to NASCAR about running over the yes, pace truck. I did. So he goes to the hauler, and Dale does all the post race. And I don't remember what I did, but I was sitting in the helicopter waiting on them both. And Dale gets there first, and Dale Jr.'s in there talking to NASCAR. He hit everything in this plate. <laughs> Hell, he was on fire once, I think. <laughs> and so the, the, the new Dale Jr. that gets on the helicopter for the ride back, he gets in and says, Dad, <laughs> straightaway him. You see, straightaway the leader. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> had him covered. Yeah. Had him covered. <laughs> so you. Well, Talk, yeah, talking about our, our relationship, but we didn't really have uh, – you and Dad were friends for a really long time. I want to talk about that here in a bit, but I didn't really – the first time I met Michael, the first time I knew Michael, I knew of Michael. I'd been to the racetrack for years and years and seen Michael there a hundred times. And But the first time I ever really remember talking to Michael is Dad brought Michael and Buffy over to show them something around at the farm. He'd probably been there before, but whatever the reason was, <laughs> Dad was showing y'all around the property – and this was probably, I don't know, man, this is probably 1997. And I was working on Kelly's late model car and he, and maybe one, one of my cars, but he brought y'all in there and he's like, Hey, this is Dale Jr. Michael Buffy. And then y'all went on. 
And for the longest time, like you and dad were tight, but we never really talked. We never hung out. I just, but I didn't hang out with dad much either. You yeah. know what I mean? I was just kind of not around. I don't know. I was doing whatever I was doing, racing and carrying on. Then we got to be teammates at DEI. You know, you, you have a documentary coming out. There's a lot of great, I think for anybody that wants to know about you, wants to know about DEI, wants to know about your experience, your life from the time you started racing, your relationship with your brother, this is an amazing documentary. Um, and you talk a lot about, you know, going to work at DEI and how that, you know, how that was a big deal for you. Explain the conversation that you and dad had about uh, coming to drive for him. Uh, that conversation lasted for years, but right. he, he uh, you know, I drove for your dad in the eighties. I ran a couple of, of, uh, bush races and he, he just you believed, won one. Uh, no, I didn't. Or run second at Rockingham. Yeah. By Fender. Yeah. To Mark Martin at Rockingham. That's, that's another funny dad story. He's up in the, <laughs> he's up in the suites and they just repaved Rockingham and his car isn't as fast as Mark Martin's. Right. I can promise you that. <laughs> and, and it's late in the race, and the caution flag comes out. And I come on the radio, and I'm like, I think we need to stay out. And he says, no, you ain't staying out. That's dumb. I said, well, two tires. Shut up and drive. Mm. Shut up and drive. Four tires, guys. I'm like, okay, four tires. Hmm. And so we come in, and, and we follow Mark out. I think Chad Little maybe even stayed out and we both passed Chad and, and man, I just, I just knew in my heart if I'd gotten two tires out of one or, yeah. or whatever, but I, I liked him as a car owner that day. Cause I usually was somebody as a driver that thought I knew more than everybody and having that authority and having someone tell me what we were going to do was something that I needed and I liked it a lot. And so that, that relationship was, was, dates back to the 80s and and why I really don't recall exactly why we became buddies but I I know now what I what I believe was my my big brother he he gave me a last name but he didn't really give me anything else he didn't he never let me drive his cars growing up he he just you know he told me to figure it out if I wanted to figure it out but he he was busy and I, I figured it out and I'd made it to not only winning on the Bush series, but nearly winning in the cup series. And I think that your dad just thought, well, you know, he, he got here, he did it, he made it and nobody handed him anything. And, and he appreciated that. Yeah. And he raced with me on the track and he thought that I could win if I had the right opportunity. And the reason why I got to drive the Wood Brothers car in, in 96 was Dale told Eddie and Lynn that he thought they should put me in that car. Mm, really? And, yeah. I did not know that. Yes. Wow. And that's that's the reason why I got that ride. So he couldn't put me in one of his yet, but he wanted to make sure that I had something good to race. And we were able to, to run well in the Wood Brothers car. And then uh, eventually that ran its course. And, and I went to drive the seven car for, for Jim Smith. And we we ran in the top five a few times and, and had a chance to win a couple of races. And it was coming to, to late 2000, like August, and we didn't have anything signed with Jim for 2001, but Jim wanted me to drive it. And I'm like, well, you know, I just felt like I'd wasted so many years re-signing. And I didn't, I just didn't feel it. I didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And one day Dale's, Dale's at Richmond, or I think it's, I don't remember where we were, but he said, have you, you got something for next year? And I said, yeah, I guess. He said, well, hang on. I'm working on something. 
I like when I do, Dale, because I'm always yelling at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you notice yeah, that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hang on. Yeah. I got something figured out. <laughs> and so he he um he, he had Ty call me and said come to the shop and we 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 talked about 2001. He said I think I'm gonna close my Bush team and I'm gonna have three Cup cars. I want you to drive one of them. And I said yes, that's exactly what I want to do. And he said all right, give me a few days. I'm gonna work on it. And so they went down to Atlanta and talked to Napa and called me back and said we we got it worked out. We want you to come drive for us for for um as our third car in 2001. Mm. How much had y'all hang out? How much were you hanging out with Dale? Like, cause I think you were friends. It sounds like you were friends for a long time. And I, from the surface, I, I, you know, I don't think you would take offense to this. I don't see a whole lot of similarities between yeah. like, you know, most well, there's people age difference and there's that, but most people always have a hunting story. They're like, they're, well, we were hunting buddies. Of course. I mean, right. I think that Dale had hunting buddies that even didn't go hunting with him. Yeah. If, if I may be honest. But you didn't hunt with him, did you? No, we would come come to um, go to DEI a lot and go to the deer head head shop and and do target practice, shoot shoot guns at targets. But I, I'm not a hunter and never was much of one. And I, I like looking at deers walking by. I never think about <laughs> shooting one of them. And so we we certainly didn't have that in common. But uh, we we were buddies first. Like I would come to the farm and he would he would show me how he put up a a eight foot fence and there's deer living in there and built this Creek and this pond. And so I felt like I was a, I was a, a Dale junior, if you will, in the sense that I bought me a hundred acres out in Cheryl's Ford and I wanted to put up a fence and I wanted to have deer and I wanted to have a Creek <laughs> with no real, real passion for any of that. Right. Did oh, you just because Dale want just because that's what you learned. No, I just, I love nature. Okay. I love, I love being outside. So, so did you really appreciate I, how much of that was you just pretending like you were interested when uh, he was showing you zero parts, zero part. It was all love. Like, okay. I would, I would walk around or we would ride the four wheeler around his, his, farm and I thought this is this is the coolest place ever it was how many acres though 500 or something yeah 300 so I had 50 (laughs) I I had the ability to replicate almost on my 50 acres what what he did here and he he called me one day and said come over I got you a deer and (laughs) and and I've I got my fence up he he gave me all the fencing and I got my fence up and he said all right I got you a deer and we come, I come over, and I'm driving a pickup truck, and he's got this deer in a cage. He said, this deer got hit. Do you remember this story? Yeah. This deer got hit in Ohio. Pistol. It's, it's mom, and it pistol hit? I think, no, the nose, we, its nose was bent, <laughs> and its nickname was Pistol. Oh, no, we're, I'm talking about Lucky. Lucky. Do you remember oh, Lucky no, the deer? no, I don't. Yeah. These, they must have been sisters <laughs> or something. Like, y'all remember the names of deers. I right, keep going. Uh, so the funny thing... <laughs> <laughs> the fact that they're sisters is another part of my story about my 50 acres, but I'll tell you that in a minute. So he says, come over here. <laughs> so I come over, and he said, this is lucky. It was Its mom was hit by a car in Ohio the other day. A race fan cut the mom's belly and delivered the baby. They bottle-fed it, raised it, and they wanted me to have it because they knew I had this land for this deer to be safe on. Mm-hmm. And so he said, this is a perfect deer for you to start. And when that deer gets old enough, I'll bring you another deer, and then you can have more deer. <laughs> so I get this deer in the back of my truck, and, and I'm getting ready to, to leave, and he, he, he grabs me by my, my shirt collar, and he says, hey, if anybody pulls you over, 
you don't know where you got that deal. <laughs> uh, I'm like, so I'm, I, I'm, what the hell is wrong with you? What, what, what do you mean? He said, you can't be driving a deer across town. <laughs> I said, All right, just so I'm clear. I could shoot this somebody right between the eyes if I want to, but I can't give it a ride. <laughs> no, you can't be giving a deer a ride. I like, well, I won't tell anybody then. So I take Lucky to Cheryl's Ford, and and Mike, you you would have you wouldn't believe my property. It it was it was a mini version of what Dale had. Mm-hmm. I even found a, a a crevice in the in the hills there. And dug into that crevice, and we built a cave just because I always wanted a cave. Wow, that, that really, sounds cool. Yeah, it is really cool. And my other goal, right before it all, we decided we didn't want to live there anymore, was I wanted to bury one of those cargo containers, like a cargo container, yeah, yeah, yeah. shipping yeah. container, shipping container, and put dirt over it and just have like a tunnel. Yeah. And I actually wanted to do like three or four of them in a row, so it was a real long tunnel, but I never got around to that. But anyway, the deer, back to the deer, Lucky's living there, and it gets old enough, so they'll bring we we figure out a way to get another one i give another one a ride across town <laughs> deer uber Duber. yeah so they the deer are coming across so now i got like four or five deers and it's a couple years and now i'm thinking you know all these deers they're, they're gonna start reproducing and i'm gonna have some weirdo deers here eventually because <laughs> there just isn't that much room and there ain't that many of them so we eventually um open the gate and oh, yeah. let them come and go as they please gotcha. and lucky Lucky, I've got a great picture of my mom and dad with Lucky standing. You, you can feed Lucky, and Lucky standing behind my mom and dad, and it's their Christmas card. It's just really, really fun um, yeah. time in my life. And it was, you know, you, you think about Dale's influence on my career on the track, but he, he, he was uh, my buddy, and I did so many fun things because of his influence and, and how, I, uh, how much I looked up to him. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you were an <clears throat> older version of me because I did a lot of crazy stuff with my property too that you probably w- would regret now having yeah. to put those containers in the ground and spending <laughs> all that money on nothing. Oh, if I could just have – I mean, there's so many <laughs> – somebody would come down my driveway and they say, we can put a pond right over there. I'd say, really? When could you start? Yeah, right. <laughs> or or we, we need a, a rock wall right in that area. Oh, yeah, we do. Uh, could, could y'all get to that? You know, <laughs> yeah, I did all that for for a long time. Yep. And it, now you're um, sort of, I, I, if I heard right, you're in between Charlotte and Phoenix. Well, I spent right. last winter for the first time for about two months in Phoenix. And how'd you enjoy that? I loved it. Yeah. It's uh, really nice, and and I like golf. And obviously, December, January is a great time to be golfing out there in Phoenix. But I still haven't determined exactly where I'm gonna where I'm going to land, how it's all going to work out. I'm working on that. Yeah. So you start driving for DEI in 2001. I was really excited about that personally because we didn't have that relationship that I was hoping we would have. I was I loved y'all's friendship. I loved your you and dad's friendship. But I also saw possibility for me and you to be friends. The age difference between you and dad gave me confidence that me and you could get along and we could have fun. Uh, and we did. Um, we got to racing together. And right away, uh, at least, you know, maybe it took us a while to get to know each other, but on the racetrack, it seemed like we got along really well. Yeah. Um, I don't even remember the numbers or how many, who who won what, or how many times we finished first and second. A lot. But it seemed like every plate race, me and you knew that if we were there together, we could hold them off. 
and you know whoever was leading was going to lead. Right. Um. You know, I, I remember uh, Talladega red flag on the back straightaway. I think you were leading yes. at that race. Uh, and I don't even know who I don't even know who won it, but I, yeah, I think I did that one. Yeah, when Elliot flipped. Yes, and uh, sitting there thinking, man, just in that moment, you know, when you have a red flag, you get time to sort of reflect. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I can't believe how good we are at this. You know what <laughs> I mean? <laughs> I mean, I know our cars were amazing. Our cars were freaking crazy. And it was funny because your crew chief slugger uh, had a whole different approach than Tony Senior and Tony Junior. But they both made fast race cars, and we knew that you know as the race went on, our cars got better and better. Um, what made y'all good? Yeah, I think. Uh, well, so Michael was already very good at plate racing, right? And even you know, no matter the team, he always found his way to the front. And for me, that's why. Like so, people say plate racing is all chance. It's a lottery. It's just you know guesswork. It's not. You always see the same guys at the front of the field, and that's because there's a there's a method to it, and there's a there's an approach, and there's a mentality to how you race at the plate tracks that changes, and you need to adjust and be able to adjust with the package and what and and what works and doesn't work. But like Kurt Busch, Michael Waltrip, myself. I mean, the, there's a long list. Denny Hamlin. There's guys that always do well, and it's a it's a mentality. And so, Michael, for whatever had reason, had that. Do you do you? What's your approach to plate racing? Why why do you think you were so successful and consistent? I I, I will. I I think as I I've, I've thought about it over the years, your dad. You know, I watched him, and I'm like, how does he do that? And why does he why is he able to do that? And just talking to him about his philosophy and 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 the air and how important putting yourself in the right spot with the air. And I, I didn't have the fastest cars at the beginning of my career, but I, I listened to that and I, I could feel it. And I'd be like, damn, there it is. There's that air. It made my car almost as fast as Buddy Baker's. Yeah. You know, I'm like, that's pretty cool. And knowing that, that it was more than chance and i never bought into that i'm like it, that's 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 not possible there has to be a way that you can figure this out and i just was a student of that type of racing and i saw it as such a huge opportunity for me early in my career to be able to run with dale earnhardt yeah because i had this air that was gonna suck me up to him mm-hmm. and i just i always i always looked forward to that opportunity because a lot of places you know quite honestly i didn't have a chance but this was a place that I did. Well, we, we you get into the DEI cars, which were very good race cars, especially on the plate tracks. Richie Gilmore and those guys had the motors figured out. We had the Rad program yep. making these amazing bodies, and so we had a we had a stacked hand uh, when it came to Daytona and Talladega, and that showed in our results. You win the Daytona 500, right? I, we had Mike Helton on the show uh, last week, and I told him that I thought he might have had the most difficult job that day having to get up there on that press conference and tell people about dad and him passing. But, it, you know, with you sitting here in the room, it's obvious to me that maybe the most difficult uh, position that anyone was in was the one you were in, having won the race, realized this amazing moment. Uh, you'll, you'll learn a lot about this in the documentary. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you, you're, you just lost your best friend. Um, do you – and we went to – Rockingham, you know, we all knew we were going. Uh, I, the picture of us sit, three sitting on pit wall, me, me and you in park, is one of the, my favorite moments. Uh, it was a very, very bad time for all of us, but it, it, it was one of, it's one of my favorite moments from 
from our time together. And we talked about that with Steve Park. We uh, did. We did it at length. And we said, what were y'all laughing about? And they said, probably something Michael said. That was it. <laughs> yeah. And it probably was. I remember, like, Michael was always kind of the guy that kept things light and always had something that would sort of break the ice. Um, it was like we went to <clears throat> your dad's funeral, and after the funeral we went to lunch, and we were laughing and just reminiscing and yeah. the the the, the the joy of his life and how important he was to us and the funny moments, things he would say and do, you know, we were laughing and uh, the waitress come up and I said, you'll have to excuse us. We just left a funeral, you know, <laughs> and, but, but yet we, yeah. we were able to, you know, you celebrate life, yeah. life, life ended here, but in my opinion, life goes on and, and we celebrate, we were celebrating Dale's life and probably in that moment in Rockingham, we were doing the same thing. Yeah. I remember going, I remember at Rockingham and practice had just started. Practice had been actually going on maybe for a half hour and you went to the top of the board. Do you remember that? Yeah. And I was sitting And that there. was like, you did good at Daytona, but what's he going to do when he gets to Rockingham? Right. Mm. Yeah. That's right. And it was yeah. a check mark. It yeah. would check the box. Like this, that was right. Yeah. Michael. I'd never it. been to the top of the board. Uh, right. And it was, uh, it was, uh, that to me was sort of like, all right, we can do this. This is this 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 group can can make this happen, um, and we did. We went on and uh, won a lot of races together, drafted together. Um, we how did how did we how did you decide? You know, in in certain moments, you talk about it in in. I've heard you talk about it before. I, I hate to keep mentioning a documentary, but it's really good. Uh, but yeah, I think you mentioned in a documentary it. it, it Daytona in 2001, how did you decide that you were going to push? Uh, well, first of all, let's go, let's, let's go back to the, the February race, the okay. 500, because, again, I'm Dale's buddy, and I'm driving for DEI, and he's my teammate, and we've never had one conversation about anything. Like, we're just like, hey. You've nodded. Yeah. We, yeah. We, In a helicopter. Hey, I will tell you this. We've. We got that nod thing down by now. I mean, <laughs> we were we were agreeing all over the place with each other. But prior to the Daytona 500, <clears throat> prior to the Daytona 500, on Thursday I was like I was I think I was going to win my qualifying race, and I went. I, the there was a restart. I went from second to third, and I had my car positioned perfectly. I went from I was getting ready to go from third to fourth. I didn't shift in time, and I hit the rev limiter, and cars just started going by me like crazy. And it, you, I was 0 for 462. No one had ever lost 462 races and then won one. And by the way, no one ever will either because they'll never get a chance to lose right, that many. Right. And I was so disgusted, disappointed with myself that I had done that. I mean, this is just a qualifying race, but it was my first chance in Dale's car. And Dale was in my race, and, and I, you know, I was going to win the race. I, I know I was if I had just shifted the gear. And so that really jarred me, and it, it, it put me in a bad place mentally. And Friday, Friday afternoon, isn't it weird, night 18 years ago, 19, whatever it is, it just like it was yesterday, I'm walking through the bus lot, and there's Dale's bus. And I'm just trying to go because I don't want to see him. He's going to be pissed at me for missing a gear. How do you do that? And the door swings open. I'm like, <laughs> Get up here. So I go in. He said, man, I'm sorry. I messed that up. He said, what are you talking about? I said, I should have won that race. He said, you shouldn't have won it. I should have won it. That don't matter anymore. Here's how we're going to win Sunday. 
you and me and Dell Jr., we're working together. These rules, the way the spoilers are, they're, they're, they're drafting so key. The three of us are going to work together, and we're going to win this race. And I'd never heard in my 462 previous attempts, no car owner had ever sat down and told me exactly how we were going to win a race, and no, no car owner was Dale Earnhardt. So, yeah. you know, it just was, was an amazing moment for me. He didn't care about Thursday. He was focused on Sunday. And I fast forward to tell this story. I wanted to – so we, we stopped for the red flag when Tony Stewart flipped. And, right. and when Dale told me, me, him, and Dale Jr. are going to win the race, I was like, yeah, yeah, we are. And then I walk out and think, there's 40 other cars out there. How are the three of us, us going to do that? And then I would start doubting. Like, nope, Dale said it. I'm going to do it. We're going to work together. That's how it's going to happen. They have this huge crash, red flag, 30 laps to go in the Daytona 500. We stop on the front straightaway. I'm first, Dale Jr., Dale second and third. And I look in my mirror and I'm like, damn, no wonder he wins all these races. Like, he not only is a great race car driver, he's also a race whisperer. Mind reader. <laughs> right. Race and, whisperer. Yeah, race, race That's whisperer. That's awesome. But, but listen, the Jedi but, mind trick on the whole field. <laughs> so, so then I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there and, you know, we got probably 10, 15, 20 minutes of sitting still. Yeah. And I'm looking in my mirror, and there's Dale, and I can see Dale Jr. And I'm like, yeah, Dale told me we were going to work together. I wonder if he told Dale Jr. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here wondering the same thing. Well, I, I am too. I can promise you I did not know. Yeah, I did not know whether he had told him or not because we hadn't talked about it. And we went back to racing, and it became obvious as the laps ran down, 15, 10, 5, that I was doing – I wasn't just having my foot on the floorboard riding around the racetrack. I was doing everything I could, letting off the gas, getting him to push me, doing anything, I, <clears throat> anything I'd learned in those previous races. I was trying my best. And Dale Jr. and I had it made because he was going to push till the end, and, and we had separation. They, the, the pack never got to us because Dale was third and he was pushing – and his plan was the three of us to push together. And as you watch the race, you know this, Dale, that this is the case. He, he was in a freaking hornet's nest. He they was, were yeah. all over, but he wasn't, he wasn't giving up, and he, he fought. And the, the crazy thing was when we took the white flag, I looked in the mirror, and Dale Jr. was, was right on me, which that was good driving on my part because I, I didn't want to be out, you know, so I, I did my part. Dale Jr. was right on me, and there was a there was a gap to to Dale, and when we took the white, I said to myself, "I'm gonna go down in that end and make two left turns. I'm gonna go down the other end and make two more. And situationally, if my engine don't blow or my tire don't go flat, I'm winning this race. I knew it. I just did. There was no way. Yeah. It wasn't working behind us. And and then when we got to turn three. You know, the, the fighting, the blocking, the, the, the side drafting, all that had been going on, um, it, it just went, went wrong when we got to turn three. And that, that, was, uh, that was crazy because we took the checker and it was Dale and, like you said, just, just so much <clears throat> excitement and energy and, and thankfulness. And then when I ran, when I don't know about you, I was going to ask you this. I thought about this morning. When I drove through turns three and four back – by the accident scene to go celebrate the win, I, I didn't even see anything over there. Like my my eyeballs, 
if I'd have seen Dale Rat, you'd have stopped. I would have stopped because yeah. that's my buddy. And he, I guess the same with you. You would have seen, like, I just was blocked from that, and I never, I never knew. I never knew that what what was setting down there. Yeah, I remember uh, as the laps were going down, Dad had told me about the plan. Uh, he yanked me into the bus and said, "I talked to Michael. This is the plan." And I was like, "All right, you know, I hope it works like that. I hope it. <laughs> I hope it. That would be, you know, great for all of us." I love what you said in the movie. It's so perfect. But uh, I don't even remember. Because that's crazy talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I was thinking. The you same were thinking thing. it. I, he said it. Yeah. I, I was thinking the same thing. But I was like, "Nope, nope." He said it. I'm gonna do it. Yeah. But when it came down to it at the end, and I looked in the mirror, I thought, if I if I did get a run and I took it, he would never let me hear the end of it. He would be so angry because I knew that he was going to go with Michael. Like, because Michael wasn't breaking the plan. I was. And if I break the plan, he ain't going to help me. He's going to go, told you not to do that. Now I'm going to show you why. You know, and I'm going to send you back there where I'm at in the hornet's nest. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there going, all right. You know, this is how it's going down. We're going to do this. And uh, when I came through there, I looked over there and I saw the the that Dad had. Re- I saw it in the mirror. Um, you know, so I knew there was a wreck and came by there and there they're sitting there. And I don't know. I just had a feeling. You know, and I got out of the car and um just thought I need to go to the infield care center just to make sure everything's okay. You know, I just I, I just had this. Because you usually don't do that, you know. You just go, well, you know, they'll they'll get checked out, and I'll meet them. I was, I'm gonna just go to Victor Lane. And I'll meet him there. But for whatever reason, I just thought, man, I just need to go to the infield care center. And so I went in there, and when I walked by, it was weird. They had these little rooms that they stick in, yeah. and I walked down this hall just searching for Dad in each one of them rooms, and I saw Schrader, and he just looked at me, and I just knew he mm. looked at me, and the way he looked at me, I was like, oh my god. And then we ran out the back door and jumped in a a cop car, and they were already headed to the hospital. But, you know, for all these years, I've felt so bad about that situation because you had just won this race, like you said, 462 losses in this one win, and you never got to – it was just the cruelest thing, the cruelest thing could I can imagine happened to somebody that had been trying and trying trying all their lives finally they're partnered up with this friend of theirs and they win this race and they can't really celebrate it we go back what 2003 mm-hmm. 2003 and you did win the race mm-hmm. <clears throat> now but even then did you get to celebrate right you know you say you do but the, everything ties back to the it still felt the same yeah yeah well, the the, the but, best moment in time was you know, July '01. Really? Um, yeah, because we, we for, we for like, I don't know. Victory Lane in 2003 was cool too. Yeah. You know, you're celebrating with your team, but but just the 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 joy that brought me and you, obviously our teams, DEI. Yeah. But all the fans. I mean that that was just that was just a magical moment being on those those cars and. And Again, so, in typical Dale and Mike fashion, we didn't plan any of that crap. We didn't say, "Hey, man, you meet me in the infield if I win." It's like yeah. Dale wins, and and I had I had raced all the way up to second after screwing up on pit road, and I, I saw him go go down toward the start finish line. And I saw I'm gonna go with him, mm-hmm. and didn't have a plan. No. Just was gonna go see 
clearly y'all didn't talk about anything. So yeah, <laughs> Not, they nodded. <laughs> right. I mean, no, serious question. I mean, because one of the things you've said that surprises me is that by, I guess my assumption was by the time the 2001 Daytona 500 rolled around, you guys are new teammates, but you're teammates. So clearly you guys have developed a relationship, but it doesn't sound like you guys talked a whole lot. Come July, now that y'all have gone through the tragedy, had you and Dale in those few months? Mm-mm. No, was that I right? I didn't really talk to anybody. I I didn't I, I didn't I don't know that you know I've, I've told Dale this before. Like I, I I'm probably the perfect candidate to go to to therapy, and I never have, and it it still hurts like it did that day. Um, and and to me that's sort of a good thing because it tells me how much I miss my friend and how special he was, but. We just, you know, I'd, I'd lost all those races in a row, and, and every, every week I wanted to go to the racetrack. And after, after February 18, 2001, we went to Rockingham because we knew we had to, and we went to Atlanta because we knew we were supposed to. But after four or five, six tries, I'm like, this, this, I'm, not, I'm not in a good place. Mm. And I told Buffy when we got ready to go to Daytona in July, I said, Daddy's going to get his balls back. Like, I'm going to go – I'm going to go show this place who's boss. And that was my plan. And and I'm sure that was your plan too. Yeah. And I, I know that it, was, it wasn't really that emotional for me to return to Daytona because every day was emotional. You mm-hmm. know, it didn't, it didn't mean anything yeah. extra. It wasn't harder because no. the day before in Mooresboro, wherever you were, was hard. Yeah. You know? So, but but the way that ended and the, and the way you guys were able to celebrate, it sounds to me like that was more of a healing moment than anything else that you had, even the 2003 Daytona 500. Yeah, when I look back at you know that period in time, that that was that victory celebration, and I didn't even win was one of my favorites because I got to share it with with Dale Jr. and I got to, you know, we we it, it I think it helped a lot of fans maybe that that weren't as tight or close to the involved as you and I were I think I think it helped them heal too yeah. seeing seeing Dale Jr. win the thing with Michael and me is he was married and I was wild and you know did the bud days that's all you really get to say <laughs> <laughs> and then I got married and now he's wild and he's in his bud days <laughs> <laughs> y'all never did you know match these things up very well did you no, for, uh, for people that work so well together on the track y'all definitely didn't get the uh running the, you know running off the track uh, matched up very well isn't that funny when you look from from 10,000 feet down and see us on the track you're like man they got that figured out just, when you get down in there like they don't got figured out yeah Exactly. <laughs> I can't believe that you guys didn't. So when did y'all become buddies? Because, I mean, listen, the, from, from that point on till about 2004, you guys had them covered at restrictor plate tracks. Yeah. And, I mean, if you weren't winning, you were. Yeah. And you'd finish second. And then vice versa. Michael was a great plate racer. I felt like I was I was a great plate racer, and we had two of the best cars. I mean, it was just – it was, it was for lack of being able to – it's a terrible word to use, but for me and him together it was easy because our cars were so good – and I knew what he was going to do because he knew how to do it. I knew how he was going to use the air off the car around him, and I knew what I needed to do to even help that, you know, help that happen for him, help him buy someone. And he could do the same thing for me. Like, he didn't get up behind me and not know what to do. Every time he was behind me to help, if I got stuck beside a guy or whatever and needed some help real quick, he knew exactly what I needed and mm-hmm. vice versa. Race car drivers rarely compliment each other, and I've got, I got one of the coolest memories of a compliment that I ever got, and it came from Dale Jr. And we're talking one day, and he said, uh, "I can tell you're really 
good at this plate stuff, he said, because uh, when I see you do something, I think I would have done that already. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, I, um, I guess. Yeah. No. So, nice. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> what I meant, uh, what I meant hey, was... Next time, Dale, just nod at me. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> what I meant was, is I'd, wow, I'd have done that exact same thing yeah. in that scenario. Yeah, that, but that's, that's not what it came, that's not what came out. That's <laughs> <laughs> not how Michael remembers it. <laughs> I would have done the exact same thing. I think the thing with Michael is um, dad dad's friendship. So we're dad's friendship and him made him family. You know, and so I look he's either an older brother or that fun uncle, whatever you want to call him. <laughs> and when we when we went through that tragedy we were forever bonded, and it, and me and my brother Kerry love him to death. I hardly talk to him, but I know if I called him right now, we'd pick up a conversation like we'd been talking all day yesterday, and that's the way it is with Michael, you know, and he's busy, I'm busy, we're both doing different things, and he's working and I'm working, but I know that there's a handful of people that I could count on in any moment in my life, and he's one of them, and vice versa, and he knows that too. And it's just because we're not only connected because of dad's friendship, but because of that tragedy. We're both sort of, we're bond welded together in that moment, you know, and it's unbreakable. We're going to get back to our guest, Michael Walter. Before we do that, I want to tell you guys about something that's pretty cool. Ever wonder where your family comes from? You can discover more about them and learn about your story, like I have, by combining the Ancestry DNA test. We're talking over 100 million family trees, and billions of historic family records that offer a look into your genealogy. Ancestry DNA gives you so much more than just the places you're from. It connects you to the places in the world where your story started, using precise geographic detail and clear-cut historical insights. Like I said before, how my family came from Germany through Philadelphia and ended up southbound to Salisbury, North Carolina, I found all that out on Ancestry. And to amplify your results, you can start a free trial on Ancestry and build a tree so that your ancestors become more than just a name. All right, it's so easy to do. Within days, they'll mail you an Ancestry DNA kit, which includes full instructions and a saliva collection tube. You mail it back, it goes to their lab, and your incredible journey begins. Go to Ancestry.com slash Dale Jr. today for 20% off your Ancestry DNA kit. That's Ancestry.com slash Dale Jr. for 20% off your Ancestry DNA kit, Ancestry.com slash Dale Jr. Now back to Michael. One of the things I think Michael, uh, me and Mike were talking about this before the show, one of my biggest regrets in my career uh, was breaking up with Yuri's. Uh, yeah. That was also maybe one of the better times for you at DEI. You yeah. and Tony Jr. had a pretty awesome season together. We did. We we had so much speed, and we didn't take advantage of it. It, it was so so frustrating for me I, I i knew i i called i came to dei one day and they said you're gonna drive dale's cars and he's gonna drive yours uh and we weren't in charge yeah we didn't really even i don't know how much you had to do with it i, I had be, everything to do with it i walked into i walked into um <laughs> gibson's office and said there was a couple people there that thought you know what maybe you guys i split up and i said that sounds great let's split up and it was I don't I was so pissed off and stupid, but 
you know, so I had a lot to do with it, and that's why it's. I didn't have anything to do with that's it. That's one of one of my biggest regrets. <laughs> it sounds like <laughs> though, you got stupid. talked in. You got talked into that. I don't want to put it on any one man because right, don't but name it was, names. But you got talked into it. But I was also like, yep, yeah. If we're gonna, I'm gonna show, you know, I'm gonna show them. Yeah, didn't I work do out like them. I thought. So, so this, I called, I left the shop, and and when they told me. It was like December. I mean, it was late, oh, right? Yeah, off-season, right? After 2004. Yeah, and I called Buffy, and I said, either the best thing in the world <laughs> just happened to me or the worst thing, but I'm not sure which. Yeah. And I uh, explained to her that we were switching, and so it was, you know, it was, I was cool. Dale, Dale Jr. was was winning races, and I wanted to do the same things, and I wanted, when I got the chance to drive for Dale in a one, I wanted that pressure. I wanted to have, make me go do my job. I'll show you. And... The same thing. The same thing happened at the end of the 04 season, and it was such a such a missed opportunity for me because we go to Daytona. I don't know if you remember, but me, Tony Stewart, and Jeff Gordon were. I passed you on the last lap in the qualifying race. Yeah, and won the qualifying race, and then, and we were running up front. We had one of the best cars, and the engine blew, and then we go to Atlanta, and or wherever we went next, and the same thing. We we had some engine issues. And then finally I get to Phoenix, a place where you had been so dominant with the Uries. You'd won a couple, three, four mm-hmm. times there. And I'm, I'm like, this is my – nothing's going to go wrong. I'm going to win this race. And practice happens on, on Friday, and we qualify 26th. Mm. And, and I was just so disappointed because I, I, I didn't do a very good job. But I, I, they started the race, and I drove to the front, and I led, and I finished second to Kurt Busch, trying to catch him on the last lap. And – Ran into the wall and 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 I was I was second and Dale Jr. I think you finished fourth. You were right up in the front at, at that day and we we celebrated after that race. Like, damn, this this is going to work out. Yeah. But um, I had a chance to. I sat on the pole at Pocono and we ran up front a lot. But yeah, I remember at Pocono we run second and third. Like there was moments in that season. Now that you bring it up, where we both went, this is this was a good change. This yeah. was gonna this is good for me, good for you, and. Uh, yeah, it just kind of. Did it ever get awkward between you guys? I don't think so. I don't think so. Because there was there was awkwardness between you and the Uries. Oh, for yeah. Sure. Yeah, me and Tony Sr. and Tony Jr. had. We had. We went into Homestead in 2004. We won six races. And we we were fighting, uh, verbally arguing in, in, uh, during practice. And it was. I, I'm going to take as much responsibility as anyone. I was a. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, I had no guidance, no authority. Um, and so, yeah, Tony, and when me and Tony, when I would fire into junior, he'd fire right back and we just would get worse and worse and worse. And by the end of the practice, it was like, I'm done with you and I'm done with you. And, you know, so we let it fester and fester, but anyways, you know, they went on and they had, I thought you guys had a great season. I know you'd probably wanted more, uh, in the midway through it, we, we determined, I wasn't going to be at DEI anymore. Yeah. That's Is that right? right? Yeah. yeah. That happened midway through that year? Maybe even before mid, but. Um, How did all that go down? I don't, I don't really, I don't 100% remember. I can't either. I know that. Uh, Was Napa leaving? No. If I remember correctly, you did an interview in May or June, and, and maybe you said. Oh. That I wasn't long term a long term fit at DEI uh, or something, and do you recall that? Mm-mm. 
There did was it 05 when we wrecked? No, it was 04 when we wrecked no, Charlotte. 05. 05. Yeah. No, I remember that vividly. It was, and then I think at Dover, maybe, maybe you said that, or or someone said you said that, and I thought, well, it's it's probably probably good idea for me to look around for something better to do, and or something else to Jeez. do, and then that's sort of how it started up with me talking to Toyota about doing my own team. Wow. Did What do you recall then? I don't never remember saying anything like that. Really? But, I mean, yeah. No, no, no. no. Not about the interview. But oh. do, do you remember uh, the conversation going on? See, you were going through turmoil as your, yeah. your, your own. You, know, you were going through crochets like laundry. You know, I think that's why well, I think I've got this story correct. Because I remember when you announced you were going to Hendrick, I thought I said in an interview, I said, I don't guess Dell Jr. was long term. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> long term fix for DI either. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I don't, it, and that, and your words were correct. It just, there was so much turmoil and nothing was, nothing was going on. Nothing was, there was no leadership or direction. It didn't feel like. And, um, and so it was, it was obvious that something was, and in, in the end, you know, I think, I think you were obviously correct. For, for both of us. Yeah. What did you, hey, go back, because I remember vividly that Charlotte incident. Was it All-Star Race or was it the 600? It might have been 600. 600. It was not the All-Star Race. It was in the big race. The big race. And it, that's where I felt like the Yuris had pent up frustrations that clearly boiled over into the media that night because I remember looking over and Pops basically had, it looked like McCaddenville or, or it looked like Times Square with all the lights that were shining on Pops. And he was holding court with the media, and uh, I was like, "Oh boy, this is gonna bowl over." But did did you have? Uh, I mean, clearly he wasn't gonna wreck you on purpose. Right. That I just thought he. It. I just, just thought he tried to push me, and it messed and it, and it messed it, it up. Went wrong. So that didn't ha- that that didn't leave you with any soreness as far as uh, feelings towards Dale. That day. I've never I've never had one feeling of of ill will toward him. Uh, I've I've loved him ever since I've known him, and I didn't know him. But I still loved him. <laughs> Didn't know him. <laughs> because he, he just was he's 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 exactly the kind of friend you'd want to have, the kind that you said, you know, if you want to call him up, you don't talk to him, but if you need something, give me a call. Mm. And I didn't think anything I didn't think you ever you know, I didn't think anything bad about that. I just thought I just thought that like he said, things had sort of run their course. Hey, for both of you, you know, this morning I'm driving to work and I drive up highway three and I pass that shop. Do you guys ever pass that shop, and, and does it ever invoke any kind of emotions out of either one of you guys I've, seeing it sitting there? I've never – I don't think I've been by it in really? years. Really? I, no. I just – I don't go that way. Um, the whole thing <laughs> – You we said it earlier. Every day is, it's emotional to me about that place. And um, Are you avoiding it, or you just don't don't happen that way? Maybe, maybe a little bit of both. Mm. Yeah. I know there's a lot of memories there, and there's a lot of, a lot of great moments, and and um, I just I get lost in, I get I, sometimes I get lost in what what might have been, you know. Yeah. yeah. I I had, I had dreamed of driving for Dale, and we had talked for three months about driving for Dale, and and the the best part about it was he I. I I know what he thought. He's like, I know you can drive. You're just you've done a crappy job managing your career. I'm gonna take that part over. Mm. I'm gonna run this thing for you, and and uh, we'll we'll show them. I think that was a little bit of it. Dale said, "We'll show them," and you know, never got that post race hug to say, 
I know what he said that day. He'd have said, I won that race for you. Now go win go win one for yourself. Yeah. I guarantee you he'd have said that. Yeah. And I would have I would have welcomed that. You yeah. know. I, I I just um just miss those miss like I hate to look I hate to wonder, but I wonder what life how it would be different today if not for the sport, but for me. Yeah. <laughs> what have been how'd have been different if if things hadn't have um end of that day yeah i think about it too i think about him there's moments like there's moments where i think man if he was in this room right now what you know how things would be different or what he would say about this so i, I do that too i drive by there and i mean it, it's it's uh not a great feeling looking at it but um yeah i, I don't uh i kind of always wonder like the deer head shop yeah, what's there? What's going on inside there? That's right. What he had this closet where it had all his old uniforms. Mine and Kelly's uh, military clothes are in that closet upstairs in the from, deer head shop from Oak Ridge. From school, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in this little cedar closet that he had, and there's um, just be cool to see some of that stuff. Or, yeah, it would. I don't know. Um, I hid a lot of things in that deer head building, deer head <laughs> shop. When I was racing late models in there, I hid. Oh, you know, cheater carburetors and stuff like that, and <laughs> trying to wonder if any of that stuff's still sitting around. Man, you think Mo- there'd be a security guard or somebody like? Listen, I hit a lot of stuff out. Yeah, there. I can need I to just, go. Can I go re- retrieve I, it? I need to go get that. I need. To- <laughs> 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 you don't understand. I, I have a funny memory of the of the Deerhead shop. So me and Dale and and Buffy, we get on three horses and we're gonna go ride around the property. That was that day. Was it? I think it was. When they introduced, yeah. Yeah, well, he brought y'all by. <laughs> y'all are on horses? Well. That was that we, was a part of the story. That was, we, got on, <laughs> we got on three horses, and we we ride out, and we're gone evidently maybe five. We, we might have made it five minutes, and my horse freaked out, and I'm not a horse rider. This was a little bit out of my range, and my horse, I didn't do anything. I just riding one. It freaked out, and it reared up. And I, we're on the, we're still on pavement, and there's a ditch there. And I, when it reared up, I bailed like, I dove off my horse into the into the grass because I didn't want to get hurt. And so Dale Jr. and all the boys are up there, and the three horses ride off. Five minutes later, one one horse comes running back. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was Michael's horse. Where's Michael? Like, one empty horse. <laughs> Oh my God! I would almost think that over all those years of just nods and no talking, at some point Dale would say to you, "Are we ever going to talk about this horse incident?" That, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I got to know yeah. what happened, right? Yeah, those were fun afternoons. We would drink beer and shoot guns a lot in the afternoon. Yeah, uh, Dale and his dad and I. Yeah. What was it you said that you hid? It was on a show recently, and you said that you hid out there, or you hid somewhere, and then your dad found it. What was the it? Cone the cone that they stole. Oh, the cone. Pro- yeah. no, oh. That was at the lake that, house. That wasn't lake there. Yeah, okay. That was the lake house. He had stuff hidden a, all over more. I stole a traffic <laughs> cone and hit it and <laughs> hit it in the pine needles <laughs> in the shrubbery around the house, and he found it. Made me return. He's very angry. <laughs> Have you ever tried to hide anything from Dale Earnhardt? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that uh, our friendship really grew because of the, the boating, you know? Yeah. Me and Buffy and... And Ty and his wife and Dale and Dale and Teresa would go out to the Bahamas. We had a lot of off weekends back in the right. in, in the nineties. Yeah. So we would we would pretty much race on Sunday, come home. I had my little bush team that I started behind my house because 
Dale had a little bush team behind his house. <laughs> There's so many things that I did because I, I respected and looked up to him so much and the farm, the bush team. But we would sort our business out on Monday or Tuesday, and then we'd leave on Wednesday maybe, and it would be off weekend. We'd stay all the way to the following Wednesday and show up at the races. And I, I don't – like you said, I don't like to say I have any regrets in life, but um, I, I – I, I think I appreciate it, enjoy those times as much as I possibly could have, and I certainly know how special they were now, and I, I think I did then as well. And that's that hat you got on today, that yeah. Sunday yeah, money. What are you wearing her? So you got the Sunday money hat. That was the name that's of Dad's incredible. boat. Incredible. Yeah, that's his boat. And um, I would imagine he didn't just hand out hats to everybody. Just, uh, <laughs> there was there was some of us that were, were part of the crew. and <laughs> <laughs> one, one day we were landing. We took Dale's plane, and we were landing – and when we were landing, Dale, Dale said, look down there, the, the fish are jumping. They're, they're feeding right there. We, we got to get there. So we're, we're like scouting out fish on a jet, you know, and we land and <laughs> we get in the golf cart and fly to the boat and get on the boat and drive out there. And them fish are still right there. Yeah. That was good, good hunt, good uh, hunting fish. <laughs> Whatever you call it, right? <laughs> That's a good way to hunt fish right, right there. Right. And then when you're back on land, you're fishing deer. Hey, I got to ask you something. Go back to the, you had said that you thought that maybe Dale took a liking to you because of your relationship with your brother or maybe lack thereof. I think what, so. What was up with that? Why, why was there, uh, what was with the relationship between you and Daryl? Well, I was, he was 16 when I was born. So all I ever knew was race, you know, my brother was a race car driver. And as a little kid, you're dumb. You don't know anything. You're just like, I want to be a race car driver, dude, just like my big brother. But by the time I was 10 years old, Daryl was 26, and he's running in the Cup Series, and he's he's fighting every day with, with Petty and Pearson, and he's the new guy with his nice slacks and his loafers and his mouth, and, and you know, he's got a lot going on. And they're just, just, we just never really were in, he moved to Tennessee and I lived in Kentucky and we just, we just never knew each other, never really spent any time together. And by the time that I got my chance to race, only, only, you know, my brother gave me an, my brother gave me my last name and it made it, it's, it was relevant in this world. And I guess my brother said, if you can't use that and make it, then, you know, sorry about that. Wow. And so that's that's just the way that was and that that really didn't I didn't know any different. I didn't I didn't care. Like I just said, "All right, that's fine. I'll figure it out." And um I think me figuring it out, like I said earlier, I I think Dale Dale appreciated that. He he knew I didn't just get handed all I had. I find some similarities between both y'all's stories. The way Daryl might have treated you and the way your dad sort of treated you because he certainly wasn't handing you out uh, freebies here and there growing up. I mean, you were talking about the... I had it a little easier than Michael, I think. <laughs> Is that I right? I, I don't, don't know. know. <laughs> I don't know, man. You you bounced around to schools and this, that, and the other, got fired from the dealership that had your dad's name on it, for Christ's sake, yeah. and then... Probably deservingly so, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying he didn't do anything. I told you. Uh, I was a... <laughs> um... <laughs> But anyway, apparently that, all the way through 2005. I think mean, so, right? Yeah, <laughs> no. yeah. I um. So, well, how did you get the dash ride, the baby grand car? I was racing a so I raced go karts, and this 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 buddy of mine built a mini stock car in his garage in Owensboro, Kentucky, and he literally he was so talented. He was like the best mechanic, best 
constructor, anything you can think about where you take your hands and build something, he could do it. Remember Richard Petty's blueprint of his Dodge back in Stock Car Racing Magazine yeah. where it showed the, the kit car? Yeah. yeah. So he put that on, on his garage wall, and he got metal, and he began. And he built a mini stock car, mini modified car. And racing, just fortunately for me, started back up at Kentucky Motor Speedway in, in Owensboro, where my brother had raced 16 years before. It had died off, not much happened. But when I was when I was a senior in high school in 1981, Andy Vertries, a guy from Louisville, Kentucky, came down and he bought the track and he was going to bring stock car racing back there. And my buddy was building this kit car off of a off of a picture in a magazine and he's he's doing it by himself he was sort of a loner kind of guy and i said well i'll help you if you'll let me drive it and i'd con my way into a couple of go-kart rides and had had one go-kart races was pretty good at it and he said all right if you'll help me you can drive it and we went out to the track the first night or first practice day and i was i'd never driven a car you know, race car at all. This was my first chance, and I was fastest. I was the fastest in my class. And the first, uh, the first night that we went racing, we raced on Sunday night. We were there, and and I saw all the guys that were at the test, and you know, I was better than all of them. I'm like full of myself. I got my new henchman uniform I ordered out of Stock Car Racing magazine. Yeah. <laughs> I was look. I put it on like at eight that morning. I'd, I've worn it all. <laughs> I've worn it all day, and I get to the racetrack, and and. In comes this hauler, and it's got an enclosed trailer behind it, you know? I'm like, I wonder what that, that guy's fancy. It said, Newt Moore the Fourth, Nashville, Tennessee. It's like, I hope he ain't racing in my class. Sure enough, they <laughs> rolled out his little mini modified, and it was it was badass. And we go out and qualify, and I, I qualified first, and, and I set a new track record. <laughs> and I'm like, this is awesome. Newt goes out, breaks my track record. Now he's got the track record. We do the trophy dash. He passes me and wins. We do the heat race. He wins. We're in the feature. It's my first night, and I'm driving this number 11 Mountain Dew Capri, and it's beautiful. And Newt passes me late in the race, and I figured it out, and I slid inside of him, passed him back, and won. Mm -hmm. I won my first ever race. So everybody in town was like, this kid's good. This kid's good. And Richard Mash from Taylorsville, Uh, North Carolina. Richard Mash is the same guy that uh, Kerry drove for when he ran – Okay. Yeah, very successful. Yeah, Richard Mash is the Junior Johnson of Baby Grand, like gotcha. back in the day. He he had the best cars, and and so Dean Combs was driving for him. There's a guy that sponsored Dean, and they wanted to go cup racing, and that left Richard's car open. I just needed some sponsorship, and this is really when when Daryl helped me for for the first time because he had a there's a van company, I know you remember it, Dale had them, Comfort Coach. It's mm-hmm. right there on the side of Buddy Baker's car, yep. Comfort Coach. And so we got some money from Comfort Coach, and I got the ride. And, and in 1983, I won six races and the championship in mm. that in that Dash awesome. Series car. And so that 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 started it for me. In 84, I ran some races. Some what, Dash? Some Dash. I ran a couple ARCA races, just um, trying to figure out and late model races, anything I could get in. And at that time, I was living with Richard Petty, and Richard said, you're wasting your time with these dash cars and these late models. You need a cup ride. And my dream had always been, I'm going to be a baby grand guy, and then I'm going to be a bush guy, and then I'm going to be a cup guy. And Richard said, you're just, and that's what he did with Kyle, you know, he put yep, Kyle right into, yeah, it. right into it. So I, I'm like, well, I never heard that plan before. <laughs> All right, let me give that a try. So I went and saw Dick Bayer. 
in Statesville, and this is this is 1985. And he said, uh, you can drive my car if you can get some sponsorships. So I went and found Humpy Wheeler. I said, Humpy, I can get this ride if I can get some tires. And he got me a, a little bit of a sponsor from, from a local company to put some tires on my car. And we went out, and my first try, I qualified 24th or 6th for the World 600. Mm -hmm. And that was my first cup start in Dick Bear's car. What year? 85. 85. We ran five races that year. The fifth was the Southern 500. And then in 86, we, we started, um, we ran for Rookie of the Year against Alan Kowicki. And we were grossly underfunded. And Dick Bayer sacrificed so much to, to keep, us getting, keep us going to the racetrack. Or, or there's, I don't, for me, there's like all these moments where like, damn, it almost was over. And something happened to keep it going. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. So I was talking about the documentary. Um, and you, you cover the whole story from your beginnings to today. Um, tell us about why you wanted to make that documentary. You wrote a book a couple years ago that I thought was really good. Um, it was a bestseller. Yeah. This uh, documentary, though, I've seen it, and it's something special. But tell me, tell, tell me like the process of, yeah, I'm going to do this. Because I know that that's got to be a decision you had to put some thought into. Well, there's a couple of things. So when I wrote the book, it was someone told me it would be good therapy for me to write a book. And like I said, I hadn't been to therapy. So I thought, well, yeah, I can do that. So I'll give it a try. And I, I met this guy who's a good dude, Ellis Hennigan, and he had written a couple of books. And he, he we worked together on it. And I got done with it. And, you know, I, I'm like, this is – I don't care if anybody buys it or not. This is my story, yeah. and it's told from my eyes. It's not like me telling some ghostwriter stories and he writes them down the way he's – you know what I mean? Like sometimes you just don't feel like you're listening to the, to the guy that you're reading about. Mm -hmm. And mine certainly is, was my words, and, and I was really proud of the book. And a couple years ago, uh, Mitch Covington from Monster Energy, he, he read the book, and he's like, man, you got to give a speech about this. So – I go to the national sales convention uh, for for them in Las Vegas, and I get up on stage and got all this video elements. And 30 minutes or so, I tell this story, and the the, the guys from Monster are like coming up and big old big old burly looking fellas. And man, you made me cry. That's a good story right there. I appreciate it. And I I said, well, that's that, that makes me feel good to, yeah. to 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 bring out emotion in people and let them know that life's Life's not always as, as easy as it looks. And so we, we started talking about would, would, the, would the movie, would the documentary be something that would inspire people and maybe give them, give them a reason to, to get over something in their life that, that they hadn't been able to, 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 to deal with. And we started the process. And, and through the process, I, I had, I've only ever worried about what, this is probably going to make me cry, but I'm going to try to be tough. <laughs> I only tried to. I only worried about what three people thought in the whole world about this 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 stock. And one was me. Obviously, it's my story. Um, two was Buffy because she lived all that and she knew everything that you know I was dealing with. And three was Dale Jr. Mm -hmm. because he was, you know, he was so involved and such a big part of it. And so I 
we interview Dale and we do all this and I send it to him, you know, and, and he watched a couple of days go by and I'm like, every time my phone beeps, <laughs> I was, I'm like, God, I hope he, I hope he's okay with it. Yeah. And then, you know, finally he, he texted me and he said, that's really good. I really like what you did. I appreciate, appreciate you honoring my dad, which is basically, you know, was, was the big part of doing it is, was to honor his dad. And, and so after that, I didn't have a worry in the world. I figured, you know, if, if all three of us approve of it, we probably, uh, do you think there's anybody else I should care about? What? Thing? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about it. Did it yeah. yeah. I think that, um, you know, I, I want to ask you what you hope people take away from it. I, you tell, so I think you're, you living that experience and that tragedy, you are only one of a few people that are able to tell it, uh, talk about what that day did and what that day meant. And, and then I feel like I'm one, you're one, there's, you know, there's a handful of people that are in that circle. Uh, but, and, and that part is amazing, but it does something else. It spells out to me, you go further than that. You go, you talk about y'all's relationship before, um, you, you, you sort of are really thorough and showing what dad meant to you. One of my favorite things about, uh, the documentary is it'll be able to help my Amy or my daughter Isla know who Dale was. There's only one other documentary that I know of that can do that, and that's the Dale documentary that they did with Ryan McGee. Um, but so those there's very small there's a very small lot of stuff that I would really want to show Isla uh, when she gets old enough, and and this would be one of them. You were Dad's best friend, and one of his, you know, few best friends. But the other thing that I loved about it was that you talk about Daryl, you talk about that relationship, you talk not, you know, in the book, I don't know that you went into detail about your life, you know, not just your relationship with dad, but your life. And that sort of helps people understand how, how you got to the relationship with dad and how that's affected you and why that was so difficult, mm -hmm. you know? So, that's what I loved about it is it said it showed everything about you. And so, cause you're an amazing guy and you have a huge, huge heart. Um, but what mostly we've seen all this time is a little snapshot of you, who you are today that we see on television and we know about the tragedy and people talk about your career, but we don't really know where you came from. We don't, not a lot of people get to hear the layers that make up Michael Waltrip and, uh, you know, your, your changing evolution of relationship with, you have with your brother, which I think is fascinating. Um, and so that, to me, is what I'm excited about uh, for you. I'm, I'm excited for people to learn that, but I'm excited about it for you because you're going to hear even more and more about how people appreciate who you are. Um, what do you hope that someone seeing this takes away? What do you hope someone understands or learns from it? Just, I mean, I, I think it's a story of persistence. You have to, you have to keep trying, um, and you know, and 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 relationships. When when you let someone in your life, they can they can help you grow. And I am guilty, and maybe have been guilty since since um, 
since 2001 of not letting anyone in. You know, people see me as this fun, crazy guy with lots of friends. You know, I just that's just probably not me. I'm not I'm not that way. But I, I try every day to 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 evolve and to grow and to be to be more of a be more of a um, person I like to see in the mirror. And that that's I'm still a work in progress. But this this documentary, it it just it means the world to me that that people know it, that this wasn't just some guy driving for another guy. These were yeah. these were these were buddies. These were it was about a it was about friendship. You know, Ray Parker Jr. Uh, he 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 came to the documentary the other night, and he's a rock and roller, and he's a, he's a tough guy. And he said, "Man, you know that that's that's a story about." relationships it's, it's more than racing it's a story about friends based you know around racing and I just hope that people know that there's 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 always tomorrow and you can keep you can always be better tomorrow Cassie Smith our friend you know she she put something on Instagram recently and it said there's always room to be a better person always and my story, I hope, makes people want to be a better person and want to know that just because circumstances on, on earth don't look exactly like you want them to, um, we're only here for a while and, and to try to make the best of it. Was there anything that you learned from, about people? In, like, I don't know who all's in your documentary. I know Dale is. Um, did you I learn learned, something? I learned that he didn't know. I, I learned that he, he uh, knew the plan. <laughs> when I looked in the mirror and I was wondering did he make yeah. no, I, I, I learned that he did know it I didn't know if he was going to hang with it or not but I, right. I I just you know I just appreciate my my brother you know he, he kind of tells a story about how he didn't really help me that much mm. that was that was hard to listen to a little bit because he's you know he's my hero as a kid but um, I I don't know had it been nice to hear him acknowledge like he could he knows he could have been different. You know what I, I told the people that made documentary? I said, can we just take that out? I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't want my brother to feel bad. You know, he's he's he don't need that. But um, I sat on the front row of the of the industry screening of it the other night and held Macy's my daughter Macy's hand um, in one hand and my brother's in the other. And Is that right? We we shed a lot Good. of tears and. Uh, I'm I'm happy that that he was there for it. Sounds like it was a therapeutic then, uh, and, and maybe you have to go through the crap sometimes to get to the uh, to, to the roses. And and I don't know if you you said that you did your book for therapy, maybe as a therapy. I don't did it do that, or was the documentary the second half of the therapy? <laughs> I think they're both the same. I'm, okay, I'm, I'm, I felt. I felt great about my book. You know, I was proud of it. I'm like, these are all my words, and this is how I, this is this is how I feel, and. And then the the doc when I when I got to watch it, you know, there's so many parts and pieces to it. To be able to to be as proud of it as I was the book, I, I just want. I guess what I'm saying is nothing's gonna fix me. I don't think it just helps me deal with it. And both the book and the doc and and your friendship and and being able to 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 shed tears and and laugh about what, what was probably. You know, I've got two beautiful daughters and two grandchildren and, and a great family. But I almost think that the, 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 the thing in my life that it all evolves around was, 
was Dale and I's friendship. And to have that part missing, it's it's never I'll never be fixed, but I certainly certainly try every day to to understand it and um I'm a I'm a Christian kind of guy. I feel like I'm going to go to heaven and I also feel like that 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 Dale was a believer and I think about this a lot and this brings me this brings me happiness. If if I'm driving off the turn, the last turn, and my son and my buddy are going to win the Daytona 500, and they, you you take me out of life, I'm gonna be like, my ah, dang, that's that's a pretty good way to go right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be. That's right. Yeah, I think uh, we earlier we were talking about mine and Michael's relationship, and you were surprised that we weren't daily. Yeah, hanging out. But I think the reason why our, our relationship's still there is because, for me, anyways, uh, there I, there's only a, there's a few people that that day broke, and and Michael was one of them. I was one of them. My sister and and a few you know there's a handful of people like I say that are in that circle, and that knowing, I know how that affected Michael, and I think it's always made me wor- worry about Michael the way I worry about my own you know happiness. And have worked hard to to make you know my life better. It'll never be the way. It'll never be as good as if Dad were here. But you know, you we we all work harder to make it as good as it can get. Yeah, your uh, sister came up to me after the documentary, and she was really pleased with what she I'm saw. I'm sure she was, and that that made me happy. Yeah, but you're right. So I think that 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 wor- that the worry, I guess, is it's a concern. I'm, I have concern and love for Michael, and I just want to know that he's good. And I want—I feel the same way about the other few people that are in that circle uh, that were affected that day. Um, and I hope that you know, you know, more people see this. How can how will people be able to see the documentary? Well, it it is um, going to come out in a limited release around the country in theaters. So mm-hmm. I think 500 theaters across America in, in October, they will show a one-day showing of it. And, and then also at film festivals and different uh, events, that, that is criteria for it to be eligible for an Emmy. Right. And it's going to go through all that process. And hopefully, um, hopefully Fox Sports will, will show it. Right. Um, hopefully NBC will show it. <laughs> who knows who yeah. all will show it. But I, I think that that the, the that's the plan as of now is is to to let it to let it um come out in the fall well i'm looking forward to when that's available for everyone to see i'm looking forward to the response that you're going to get from it and the and the joy that that's going to bring you brother amen to that it's gonna be fun because yeah. i've seen it it's amazing what's the blink of an eye mm-hmm. so when that comes out we'll be talking about it we'll be sharing it with everybody i'm sure you'll hear about it everywhere else as well it'll be a big big talk in the industry um, but it's one of the one of the things everybody should be looking forward to for sure. Well, I've been looking forward to coming to your your uh, studio. <laughs> yeah, I do a what little. You, you do I, a podcast. I now. do a little podcast, and in fact, I've, I'm going here in a, in a bit to to talk with Kyle Larson. That'll be fun. And so looking around, I mean, I'm I'm basically doing mine in a closet. Well, we were that, at one that point. Was, we were, we were yeah. doing yeah. it in, we were in there here. last year. Uh, Don't feel bad. Hi. 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 <laughs> this we this is new this year. Yeah, we were in that in that space last year. So yeah. this is got to start somewhere. This is really really good. I like uh, the memorabilia and and all the different. Um, we need some Michael Waltrip pieces. I, I should have brought you one. This is that is that is that Daryl's? No, but it's a street stock car that we built in ninety 
eight or something and raced it. One at Concord, one to race at Concord, but it looks like it don't. Yeah, that's that, a beautiful. Uh, that's when he drove for for Robert, Robert G. G. Yeah, yeah, Robert. Robert was was special. Yeah, we he came to our house in Kentucky once when they were making a midwestern swing with mm-hmm. their cars and and uh, I had gerbils. <laughs> Of course you did. I had gerbils. <laughs> I don't know you what know you're... who doesn't have gerbils? <laughs> Robert, Robert Presley. Presley. Yeah. Robert... <laughs> he I probably know. he probably looked at me once and said, "That so much probably has gerbils." <laughs> <laughs> so I had I had gerbils, <laughs> and Robert comes out for breakfast and he said, "That boy's got some damn rats in that room. <laughs> <laughs> he got them rats caged up and they spun on that wheel all night long. I didn't sleep a le- I didn't sleep a week." That's funny. <laughs> I can hear it. I can totally hear it. It's <laughs> uh, funny. Have you seen that car that he just acquired? That uh, Robert I want to show you that. Yeah, yeah. You I got, a couple, see that I got two things to show you before you leave. All right. All right, buddy. Thank you. Ah, uh, thank you. Thank we'll you do it again. Mind. Appreciate y'all. Show's not over. We got a lot more stuff coming here shortly. For that, I want to tell you about our friends Butcher Box. Butcher Box right now is offering new members a free Ultimate Barbecue Bundle. Plus $20 off your first box. Celebrate the start of grilling season with one of their best deals ever. The Ultimate Barbecue Bundle comes with three grill-ready favorites, including baby back ribs, two pounds of ground beef, and two New York strip steaks. Plus, you're going to get $20 off your first box. Start your summer off right with this incredible deal. ButcherBox makes it easy to get high-quality meat that you can trust. Every month, ButcherBox delivers 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild Alaskan salmon directly to your door, right to your door. Since these guys all pick on the way I say it, let's talk about this. Salmon. 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 <laughs> salmon. salmon. ButcherBox sources their pure, wild, sustainably harvested salmon from Bristol Bay, Alaska. They've partnered with fishermen who uphold strict fishing and handling practices to guarantee the highest quality salmon. What do you guys think? <laughs> Salmon. 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 Good old salmon. salmon. If you got a salmon as a pet, you name him Salmon. For the ultimate barbecue bundle, absolutely free in your first butcher box, plus $20 off, go to butcherbox.com slash Dale Jr. or enter promo code Dale Jr. That's two New York strip steaks, baby back ribs, and two pounds of ground beef free in your first box, plus $20 off at butcherbox.com slash Dale Jr. or enter promo code Dale Jr. All right, everybody, it's time for the Valvoline DIY question of the week. Dale Jr., it's been a few weeks uh, since we've heard updates on all of your restorations projects. Yeah, we got two now. You got a few. Let's hear about it. All right, so we got the uh, 1980 Monte Carlo that Dad won the championship with, and we also have the 1984 Bush Grand National car uh, that we bought at uh, Barrett-Jackson. The uh, 1980 Monte Carlo is, is getting decaled. The entire car got painted from front to back. Mm. It looks beautiful. We did it right here at Junior Motorsports. We're now decaling the car as it ran that final race at Ontario. Uh, we'll send some more updates on social media about how that's going. Uh, I think the final decal day for that car is the 17th of this month, so we got a few weeks before we can get that finished. Once it's decaled, we're going to start taking the brakes apart and dive into the brakes and make sure all that stuff's working properly, and then we'll continue to go through the driveline. The um, the 84 Bushker National car that we bought at Barry Jackson is in the back of Junior Motorsports in the fab shop getting stripped down. Yeah, I, saw, I was back there the other day, and I saw yeah. Robert G. working on it. Right, so it's being stripped apart. They're going to start to fix the body of the car and put it all back together. 
And, yeah. you know, it's going to be a full restoration, it looks like. I thought we were going to do really kind of like a 60% restoration, uh, but I think it's looking more like it's going to be more of a full restoration, at least 85%, 90% restored. Um, once they got to diving into it, they saw some things that they just weren't going to halfway fix. They wanted to fix all the way, and it's just easy. Those guys are just, you know, you know, the professionals. And I told Uncle Robert, I said, I'm telling everyone who did this when it's done. <laughs> so uh, there you go. So that alone uh, made, it made him want to fix it up just right. He was saying, uh, too, that uh, looking at the car deeper, you, he probably told, obviously told you this, but that uh, he, he pretty is, is very certain that that roof is completely original. Oh, yeah, I'm sure the roof is. So, yeah, the roof's original. I know that uh, everything from the from the door tops down is new. Center section. Or had been fixed. But everything from the door top, like the A post, B post, C post, all that stuff's original. Hmm. Um, so that's an update on that. That's the, good. Uh, the Valvoline DIY segment. From high mileage rides that need that thick anti-wear <laughs> film to newer engines that have carbon buildup, <laughs> head over to Valvoline.com slash Dale to find the product spec for your engine. Well, that's a good one. Good tag, good tag, Reed. Uh, Keep coming, bud. White flag, bud. White flag right there, white flag. This white flag is brought to you by Nationwide. They usually bring Ask Junior, but we didn't do Ask Junior today. So today, Nationwide brings you white flag. Thank you, Nationwide, for all you do for us. Uh, Darlington seat fitting today. Uh, I know that this is not something that you thought would be in white flag, but I noticed it on the calendar. This is a big deal. You ready for Darlington? I mean, the paint scheme looking nice. Yeah, the paint scheme's cool. Um, start. Yeah, we'll start doing little things that are, are triggers for knowing that the race is on the horizon. Yeah, I mean, you know, doing the doing the seat fitting should work out good. I hopefully all the stuff's just like it was last year. I had a car last year that I drove and the seat was fitting in it pretty good. You dang straight. It ain't a Led fact of lap. have I changed? Has my body changed? It's just like getting it in the car and make sure the headrest and everything's where it needs to be. And I got you. You don't have any dad bod can, problems. Can, can we send Dillner so. again this year? Like we and in, in, in do the kind of behind the scenes thing, or is that a you think one, he can, one and done? I don't know. You think everything will work? Technology seems to be a little tough. <laughs> <laughs> I did as not try as, to tee him up wow. for that. As long as we don't have to go live, I think we're fine. <laughs> My goodness, as long as we don't have to broadcast it on YouTube. As long as we oh. don't have to go live with the return, <laughs> part two. Matthew, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to move on. <laughs> wow. Scorn, uh, burn, Del burn. Did you guys, like, is there tire trucks? Oh, my floor? God. Heading oh my to, uh, <laughs> Dale, you're heading to the Ohio State Brain Health and Performance Summit tomorrow, this Tuesday, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, uh, to speak at the Concussion Expo there. We're going to see Mickey Collins. Yeah, I always love seeing Mickey and, and talking and helping him and promoting what he's doing. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we've, we've done that a few times and had some great response from it, so looking yep. forward to it. That'll be cool. On behalf of True Timber, Dale Jr. will be at the Cabela's uh, signing autographs this weekend in Greenville, South Carolina. Yeah. That's going to be 10 to noon Eastern time, 10 to noon at the Cabela's in Greenville, South Carolina. Catch us on TV, NBC Sports Network, on Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern time. I've even heard a rumor. I mean, this is just a rumor, but, you know, we're about the rumors. We don't need the hard facts. We can even <laughs> spread rumors here on the Dell Junior Download. I heard a rumor that uh, they are working to get a, uh, a re-airing each week in a primetime slot. That's Whoa. nice. Yes, sir. 
All right, so uh, we'll keep you updated on if that rumor actually becomes something that we would otherwise have delivered as a fact. <laughs> and lastly, I just want to say this. This is not also typically something we would say, but uh, we've got a, a pre-taping coming up this week that Dale and Matthew and myself are all really excited about, and it is Gary Ballou, Hot Shoe Ballou. And if you don't know who this guy is, just wait, because we got something coming for you, and that's going to uh, – I'm looking forward to that. I know you guys are. And, Dale, that's it. Excuse me. I was right, I mean, How about me throwing it to you right in the middle of a burp? <laughs> I was burping. Well, we love to tell you something. People think we're amateurs. We are professionals here. I, I mean, let's just be real. I hate to, get, I hate to rate our guests or give anybody the impression that one's favored over the other, but the Gary Ballou interview is one I am really looking forward to, and you'll find out why once we get into that. Yes. Odd history. Let's hear it. How odd is it? It's pretty odd. <laughs> All right. During a rain delay in 1969, Michigan International Motor Speedway got soaked. Obviously, it's raining. Back in those days, <laughs> trucks would typically drive around the track dragging tires uh, behind them with a big chain. And, uh, you know, they'd pull about 10 or 12 tires chained together behind these trucks. During the Yankee 600 at Brooklyn, Michigan, uh, Things were a little different. They used a low-flying helicopter to dry the surface. By flying close above the, above the track, the wind from the rotors, you know, obviously dry the asphalt a little quicker. But unfortunately, the helicopter crashed. Oh. Uh, you know, on a safety truck, has sometimes it has those real tall antennas, but that's, that, that antenna, uh, the truck was driving under the helicopter, yeah, which is pretty crazy to be driving anywhere near a helicopter. Surely the driver saw the, the helicopter, right. So the safety truck hit the rotors with his antenna. Mm. The helicopter dropped about 10 feet or so onto the pavement. Nobody was hurt in the accident, and the helicopter was towed away. After another rain delay, the race concluded just past halfway. Due to darkness, David Pearson won the 56th race of his storied career. There you go. The helicopter crash was one of the Good cautions Lord. for that day. <laughs> they were hell-bent to get that race in. I think the truck driver, that had to have been a dare. Like, hey. That had to have been the worst feeling ever is to look in your mirror and see the helicopter laying on the ground all mangled. I, yeah, you'd think. <laughs> Did if, I do if that? He, if he had a heart. Or oops. A, yeah, oops. <laughs> Damn. All right, well, hope you guys enjoyed the show. Good stuff. Uh, Michael was amazing. Thank, I'm so glad he came in and uh, was, was so honest. Uh, looking forward to next week. Yes, sir. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo.